kids behind the bus time. NHRL Studios in Norwalk, Connecticut. This is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. I'm Kyle. And I'm Gil. And today on the podcast, our interview with NHRL Community Director Gil Hova. Hello. Yay. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. First up, catch live robot combat this weekend in Connecticut, New Jersey, Wisconsin, Tennessee, and Southern California. In Connecticut, they'll be fighting Antweights at Makerspace CT in Hartford on Saturday. For fans of NHRL, this is a great opportunity to see some of your favorite builders in action in a lighter weight class. In New Jersey, the Garden State Combat Robotics League will be fighting Antweights and Beetleweights at Warren County Community College in Washington. In Wisconsin, Wisconsin Robot Combat is running an Antweight competition alongside a Bots IQ 15-pounder event being held at Waukesha County Technical College. In Tennessee, Backwoods Combat Robots is back in action for Battle in the Backwoods 6, where they'll be fighting Fairyweights, Antweights, and Beetleweights in Chapel Hill. And finally, there are two events happening this weekend in Southern California. In the first event, Kronos Captain Jerry Serafin is fighting Fairyweights and Antweights at the Cyberpunk-inspired Neotropolis event Friday and Saturday in California City. The second event will be held Sunday at UCLA where the college's combat robotics team will be hosting a beetleweight competition with fan favorite Joopy and a vert called Blue's Teal from Lynx builder Calvin Eba. Ooh, wow. Check out details on these events and more at robotcombatevents.com. I did not know about Blue Steel. Um, I will also send a shout out to the Hartford event that's being run by Paul, who runs ER Stingray at NHRL. And uh, I will personally be at uh, the New Jersey event. So I hope to see uh, people there uh, just as an attendee. Oh, that's amazing. Kyle, how how far are you away from uh from this this community college in, in New Jersey? Are, are you planning on going? It's about a two hour drive. Um, I am unable to go because I have a Girl Scout camp this weekend with my daughter, so I have to go uh, dad at the Girl Scout camp. I I really want to go to this event in Hartford, so I'm gonna see if I can talk Chris and Lindsay into driving me. Um, so yeah, abandoning my own uh, baby child and uh, perhaps uh, going to Paul's event. Who knows? Um, and finally, friend of the pod Craig Danby is taking his bot Slamo to BattleBots Destructathon on May 13th and 14th as part of the show's new Proving Grounds format. Proving Grounds is a great way for the team to make its case to the selection committee that they deserve a spot on season eight of the show. Now, before we get into our recap of episode 14, uh, Lindsay, you have some very exciting news. Uh, Tell us what's going on. Yes, I have very exciting news to share, and it pertains to everybody. Um, (laughs) Chris and I, uh, we have uh, befriended the couple behind the illustrious art uh artist duo eel monkey art mm. um uh renny and mary beth and you uh you know know their work from the brett plushies um and big news there are clyde and Lindsay plushie bots available on their website along with the other plushies so uh you know if you want a clyde you want a Lindsay, or you know something boring like a brett um <laughs> 
go to eelmonkeyart.com. It's exact. It's spelled the way that it sounds. Eel monkey art. Now, Lindsay, Chris, have you received them physically in the mail yet? Oh yeah. You have? They arrived today. Really? And they are incredible. And Clyde, I mean, obviously this is not a spoiler. It has an amazing mustache. Um, it's crazy because I, I was going to surprise you because I got my Clyde in the mail, but I purchased it. Okay. So Eel Monkey Art now has my mailing address. I hope that they don't abuse that. All right. <laughs> A worthy purchase. Oh, and uh, proceeds from every purchase is going to fund um, like a builder award, uh, like a, like a, uh, you know, just like a rogue, you know, builder award at the end of the year that they wanted to kind of give back to the builders. And they have different categories, which I won't divulge because I think it's top secret. Um, but uh, so, yeah, it's like an investment back into the builders, which I think is pretty cool. That is super cool. I just wish yeah. they made one of me. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, Chris isn't that one. <laughs> no, Chris, sorry. Well, no, they, they they can make like a little bread, bread hat, like, you know, on top of a a robot. I think that'd be great. Um, well, uh, I, I, I love it. I, uh, I have my own Clyde and, uh, I can't wait to hug it every night and give it a little kiss. Um, so that's perfect. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Well, let's take a look back at episode 14 of BattleBots, which aired this past Thursday. We saw huge break Starchild's legs. Beta wedge itself to a very respectable three in one. Mammoth drown our beloved Kraken. Valkyrie split glitches drum and Riptide cruise to a 4-0 finish, knocking out Black Dragon in a one-sided fight. Uh, I want to pause here. Kyle, your thoughts on episode 14? Oh, man. Um, hey, this was a predictable episode, right? Um, so I thought that the the huge and Starchild fight was exactly what we were all expecting. It was just uh, watching Starchild get shredded, and it wasn't fun. I mean, these... These bots are not really optimized to fight each other, but uh, Huge, you know, has the more general purpose weaponry, so they were very easily able to pull that one off. Plus, Huge is nigh unstoppable this year. Um, I thought that the Ominous Shatter fight was really interesting. It was especially interesting to find out that Ominous lost, like, uh, one of their wheels pretty much right at the first hit. Um, the first hammer strike from Shatter. So good on Shatter for being preci- precise and awesome. And uh, bad on Ominous for not being able to do the, you know, the whole drive thing that they do. Um, I thought that, you know, the Bloodsport beta fight is amazing. That was like my favorite fight of the entire day. Um, Bloodsport, it just, there was nothing they could do. Uh, Beta is the wedgiest wedge that ever wedged. That was so much fun. Um, just a masterclass. And just that team has improved. The Beta team has improved so much since last time that we saw them. I'm so glad that they're back. I'm so glad that they're able to kind of hang with this modern collection of bots and do as well as they're doing. And it was just so much fun. Um, yeah, our boy uh, Ricky did a great job uh, with Mammoth. Loved it. Um, I have strong feelings about the Valkyrie glitch fight, but I know we're going to get into that shortly. And the Black Dragon fight went a little bit worse than I thought it would, but um, you know, it was also to be expected. I thought it was going to be better than that. I thought there would be a little bit more back and forth. Uh, there was no, there was no back. There was only fourth. So that was not fun. <laughs> 
Now, Gil, I, I know that you've weighed in on the, uh, the the way that BattleBots framed the Valkyrie fight. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, let me start by saying that uh, I think BattleBots storytelling this season has been better than it's ever been. I think they've really, for the most part, uh, done a really amazing job at setting stakes, telling the story. Uh, someone watching BattleBots for the first time will have a really good idea of what's going on. Um, that said, I feel like, uh, Valkyrie glitch was a bit of a misstep the way they framed it. Uh, first off insisting that, uh, Valkyrie had to be aggressive or else, uh, and then saying like, uh, Lucy wasn't really driving well. Um, Valkyrie is a very hard bot to drive. Uh, it, it rides on a nut and it always wants to turn in the direction that the weapon is spinning. Um, I have such incredible respect even more respect for Fred Moore as a driver, uh, knowing he was able to make Valkyrie look like just like any other bot. Um, and I actually like, um, like I've seen Lucy do practicing with, uh, with Valkyrie in the off season uh, or practicing with like hot leaf juice, like instead of David driving uh, her driving it, uh, she has a three pound version of Valkyrie called boomerang that she tries to drive around. They're not the same thing, you know, nothing's like driving a 250 mile bot around, but um, you know, I feel like they didn't really give Lucy um, as much like respect for just the degree of difficulty that she's going through right now. It's, it's not something that should be taken for granted. And the third part is, especially this season of all, you know, to criticize someone for not hitting their opponent uh, when they're immobilized, I feel was a really strange direction from, for them to go. Um, and, you know, I'm not just, you know, putting Chris and Kenny under the spotlight here because there's also, you know, there's a whole team that sort of decide editorially how to frame the fight and uh, to ADR, um, um, commentary and afterwards, which is a, 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 a thing that they can do because they're episodic. And uh, I really feel that for that particular episode, you know, that fight could have been handled a little bit better. You know, it's not it's not like MMA. You know, you don't really have to, you know, be super aggressive if the person's being um, uh, counted out or if they're immobilized, especially a bot like Glitch, uh, who last season showed that if you drive into them when they're immobilized and you hit their weapon, generally bad things happen to you. Uh, that's happened to a lot of bots last season. So um, I don't think Valkyrie drove uh, as badly as they said. Sure, they could have been a little more aggressive, but it wasn't to the degree, I think, that they uh, they made it seem. But overall, the storytelling has been great other than that. Yeah, I mean, when, when, I, when I watched that Valkyrie glitch fight, I thought to myself, you know, if I'm Lucy and I'm going into this, I have to win this fight. I am on the bubble and I'm facing an opponent that has lost three matches, I am not going to engage anything more than I need to to come out of here with the win because I need to make it into the top 32. And losing to Glitch on a bad bump or having like helping Glitch spin around and knock out my weapon, and then now I'm out and Glitch is out because they're now at a 3-1 versus a 1-3 oh, oh, sorry, a, a one and three versus an 0-4. Oh you know, like... We're, we're both going to be out of the top 32. Like, that's awful. Um, drive conservatively. Make your way into the top 32. That makes total sense strategically. Um, and it's this kind of entitlement that BattleBots feels to like, oh, I need to have spectacle for every single fight. And it's like, no, you're, you're shooting a, a TV show, but these builders are fighting in a real competition for them, you know? And like, they need to advance. Um and and you you need to to get your next win. So um so that that is that's 
hugely important. And I do not fault Lucy at all for being conservative in that fight. Yeah, same here. Uh, it's funny when I attended BattleBots, I um, the one of the first things I saw, I I passed Glitch's pit table and I saw their split weapon along with a plastic cup uh, with some coins in it for like donation money for their next weapon. Uh, apparently, <laughs> I think they they had one other weapon, uh, one other spare weapon, but it was pretty old and they were really worried about fighting it. But I felt so bad for him. That's a college team and a really expensive weapon to break. So um, one other thing about that surprised me about the commentary, that weapon breaking, that was the critical moment of the fight. And you'd think that they would like highlight that, you know, when, when you have the luxury of being able to go back and ADR something, you know, you can loop a big reaction to that. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking back to the, um, you remember at NHRL when Polywog broke Voxel's weapon, um, Luke, you were on that, like right away. You were like, wait, what happened? Oh no, Voxel's weapon broke. Like that was a huge point in the fight. And I think in in a similar respect, I feel like um, they should have highlighted that as a real big turning point, not just for um, not just for the fight, but just another illustration of just how badly Glitch's season has gone. I feel so bad for them because just about everything bad that could have gone wrong has gone wrong for them. Yeah, well, hopefully they can make it back for season eight. I mean, BattleBots loves the redemption story. Um, and hopefully their their uh, performance in Sin, Sin City Sluggers is going to be better. Yeah. Um, now, now, uh, Kyle, I, I have uh, I have some exciting news for you. Um, we had 101 people send in predictions this past week, and just two people managed to call all seven fights correctly. And those two people were James Montgomery and... Drumroll, please. Kyle, it's you. Kyle Kroos. I can't Woo! believe it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, now, most people failed to call it correctly for Beta, Mammoth, and Valkyrie, with a lot of people pretty evenly split on the main event. Um, but not Kyle. He was able to correctly call all of those fights. So that is really great. Nicely done, Kyle. Oh, um, I, I I think Kyle can't hear me. Um, maybe Chris and Lindsay, do, do you want to... Do you want to read off the predictions for Kyle? Sure. Um, All right, Kyle. Since uh, you can't hear Luke, (laughs) we are going to um, do the predictions thread for you. I mean, for him. All right. Well, well done, Kyle. You called all seven fights correctly last time. How does it feel? I feel like champion of the robot brains. Do you think you can do it again? No, this is a much more complicated fight card, but but I'll try. I'll try my best. <laughs> I have faith in you. All right. Uh, first one, Lucky versus Cobalt. This is this is one of those definitely could go either way fights. I'm going to give it to Lucky. Um, but man, if Cobalt gets that ground game under control, they're going to take this fight. So so I'll say Lucky. Really tentative, though. All right, uh, battle of the pretty adorable flippers, Blip versus Banshee. Pretty adorable flippers. This one's going to go to Blip. All right, two scary verts from international teams. I almost hate to see them pitted against each other, but that is what must happen. Monsoon versus Death Roll. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. This is going to go to Monsoon, though. All right, Tantrum versus Whiplash. Oof. Oh, that one's going to be really, really rough. Um, I'm going to give it to Whiplash, but that's that's a super big maybe on that one. 
Now, would that put Tantrum at one and three this season if they lose this one? That is correct. And that's kind of how it's set up, right? If you win the championship, you're going to get a really hard season the next time. Yeah, yeah. that's a very good point. And I know Whiplash also really needs the win. So I feel like both teams this are going to do or die. Yeah. Uh, hijinks versus switchback. This one's going to go to switchback and I feel really bad for such a bad season for hijinks. Um, I think that they're going to be back though. I don't think this is the end of hijinks. They'll probably be invited back next season. All right. Slamo versus double tap. We get to see double tap again. I actually, uh, I hate to say it, but I think this one's going to go to double tap. I love you, Craig Danby. And I'm so sorry. Wow. Okay. All right. We have it on, on record now. Um, and then the main event, a rematch that, you know, I think some people are asking for. Um, we have Witch Doctor and Minotaur. Yeah, this is going to suck for so many reasons. Uh, I'm going to give it to Witch Doctor. Um, and I mainly because it's going to make all of the people I want grumpy, grumpy if Witch Doctor wins. And that's, that's, that's literally it. it. There's no scientific reason behind this. Either bot could win. They're both amazing bots. Uh, it's just for the lulls. <laughs> All right. Well, if you think you at home listening to this are smarter than a Kyle, go to our Facebook page and send us your predictions. And after the break, we'll return with our interview with Gil Hova. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, NHRL Community Director Gil Hova. Gil works behind the scenes at NHRL to make the league run smoothly. He's the keeper of the official robot statistics and standings. He helps build the brackets and serves as the official liaison between the builders and the league. Gil is a BattleBot superfan who's also helped curate NHRL's world-famous bot museum of heavyweights. Outside of NHRL, he's a computer programmer and board game designer. We're looking forward to getting into all of these topics and more in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Gil. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Gil, I, uh, I'm i so happy that you're here. Um, I uh, like I, We've worked together at NHRL for two years, and I've just, I love seeing you every single time that we hang out. It's just such a delight. Um, and uh, it's just cool that, that you're here. I mean, like so many people have asked for this, this interview, so... Um, I am. I'm stoked that we're doing this. I'm really excited. Also, I love hanging out with all of you at NHRL. And uh, Luke and I and a bunch of other people did an escape room when we were at Robo Games a few weeks ago. Uh, and it was one of the best escape rooms in the world. Uh, Palace Games is just amazing. Yeah. Oh, that was a good time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. All right. We were we, hung, we were we were in California like two weeks ago for Robo mm -hmm. Games. Um the best part of that escape room, and, you know, I don't know, it's a very small group of people who might, you know, I'm not going to try and spoil it, but um, the at the end of the escape room, we escaped, obviously, and, um, oh, it, very cool. I mean, like, we, like everybody from Brandeis University, so, like, Tim Hebert and all of his friends uh, were there. Um, so, yeah, we, we got to hang out uh, with Steven, Steven Bogus from, from Wormhole uh, there. Uh, fantastic group. Very smart, and, and we were able to yes. escape that. That was great. Um, but at the end, um, the manager ended up showing us behind the scenes, which was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. 
like Gil, I know that you used to work in an escape room. So like, this is all probably like, you know, old hat for you. But like when she showed me all those Arduinos, all of the wires, like all of the, the LEDs, like everything and, and how it was just programmed to um, scale just based on the size of your party. It just blew my mind. Like I had no idea there was so much sophisticated programming that goes into an escape room. Well, also keep in mind, this is Palace Games. They go like above and beyond most escape rooms. A lot of escape rooms have pretty sophisticated setups. I would say Palace Games is like at least 20 times more sophisticated. Most escape rooms do not scale according to player count and difficulty. Uh, By the way, the room we did was the Edison room. uh, Highly recommended. Uh, We also did the attraction the following day, which was also really good. But yeah, that behind the scenes tour like whereas most escape rooms have like maybe a cabinet of electronics and arduinos um this place had like a room full of them it was an incredible amount of technology um obviously i can't say any more because of spoilers but if you are in the bay area that's one of the best escape rooms in the world now i did the attraction myself like a year ago my um my sister is a huge escape room nerd and she ended up uh, getting engaged at the end of the attraction. Um, so, uh, you know, Palace Games obviously has a uh, very fond place in her heart and mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the attraction blew me away. Like, yes. um, like compared to the Edison room, like the attraction just seemed like five times more complex. And I can't even imagine the programming that went into that room. I wish I could talk more about the complexities in there, but they have something in the attraction that I've only ever seen in video games. And I never thought would be actually in a physical escape room. It's an amazing piece of engineering. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, And then there was a BattleBots connection too at Palace Games, if I recall correctly. Yes. A member of hijinks, not hijinks, Battle Royale with cheese uh, worked at uh, Palace Games. Yeah, and helped program the uh, the Edison room, if I, if yes. I recall. Yes, yep. So that's yep. very cool. So if you're a BattleBots fan as well, you know, and you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, a uh, heavy buy recommendation from Gil and I, you know, to go and check out this escape room. Um, check out the Edison room, you know, walk through the uh, the crazed mind of the Battle Royale with Cheese Builder, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah. That's, that's it. Good. We're an escape room podcast. We're, <laughs> right. we're now competing Good. with my friends uh david and lisa at room escape artist i uh i can only imagine that uh we're going to also botch you know this as a concept and uh <laughs> you know four four years later have a very small but dedicated group of listeners who somehow <laughs> suffer through uh you know us every single week that's perfect this is um, behind the bookshelf yes <laughs> <laughs> yes perfect Perfect. Good. Um, Gil, we, we, we got so many questions um, oh, yeah. from the audience, uh, you know, people who love NHRL and who have met you before. Um, but first, uh, I, I, I'm going to do like kind of a two for one because uh, we've got May NHRL coming up in about 10 days. There's going to be a lot of people tuning in on YouTube. There's going to be a lot of people who are listening today who are going to be competing. Um, I would love to just kind of run through the roster with you. And pick out some interesting storylines. So if you're a fan and you're going to be tuning into NHRL, maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about the people and the robots to watch. Um, I've got the roster up here on my side. And uh, I would just love to start wherever you think is it most interesting. Okay, well, first off, um, I want to mention every single bot here, and I can't. So my apologies if I don't mention you. Um, it's uh, it's entirely on me. Um, I'm going to start with 12 pounds. Uh, we're going to have three bosses. For 12 pounds, which are going to be Carmen, Crunk, and Maximizer. 
uh, assuming no dropouts of a court, of course. Um, just make sure three bosses, right? I'm I'm on my spreadsheet now. Yep, three three bosses. So Carmen Crook and Maximizer are um are going to be the bosses in our um in our system. Uh, as you may or may not know, uh, we divide bots into three groups: uh, bosses, challengers, and rivals. Uh, and bosses automatically qualify for the bracket tournament. Uh, but they do get one fight in against a challenger who won their fight uh, to make sure that uh, they're, they're working and also to to qualify for the very top bracket seeds, which uh, often include a buy. Uh, so um, Carmen was at Motorama and they were amazing. To me, they were every bit as impressive as uh, Minor Threat, uh, which is the bot that won the 12-pound category. And Minor Threat looked absolutely incredible, but Carmen was destroying bots as well. And the fight between Carmen and Minor Threat was amazing at Motorama. So I'm very excited to see Carmen uh, in its uh, 2023 debut at NHRL. Um, I uh, also am, am really eager to see Maximizer. Yes. I, I really, really love seeing Fagamizer style robots. If you are not familiar, it's really interesting. It's it's a long, long robot, kind of long, thin robot. It's got this huge face, this great defensive face that it smashes into its opponents. And it's got a, um, a horizontal disc on the end of the tail that can whip around and get to the wheels or get to the, the back of the robot. We've seen successful examples of this in the ant weights, in the beetle weights, and in the 12s. And I am hoping uh, that we're going to one day see a heavyweight version of this robot at BattleBots. Um, and, you know, tune in, tune in in like 10 days from now to, uh, to tell all your friends that you got to see the concept early, you know, before, uh, before it made it to, uh, to the Discovery Channel. And remember, in March, um, Maximizer beat the top C to 12 pound bot Yavnal by splitting its weapon. So Amazing. it is a very hard hitting bot. Yeah, very cool uh 30s next Gil? Uh, let me just run through a couple more 12s that i'm keeping an sure. eye on um Good. we're gonna have a bunch of brazilian bots so 12 pound sombra is returning um i want to mention swole because i feel really bad about what happened to swole in march um as you probably know march was very technically challenging for us at nhrl because we had a lot of failures and we were at a point where we were effectively flying blind and did not know the results of what was happening at each cage this is something that at most combat uh, competitions is not a big deal because there's only one cage. Everybody's around it. Everybody knows what happens. But um, at March, we had eight different cages spread out all over the building. So knowing the history of what happened wasn't trivial. Um, and since our equipment failed, we had uh, it was a really chaotic environment. And unfortunately, in that environment, uh, Swole won a fight and did not advance. So uh, we felt really bad about that. Uh, and uh, thankfully, Swole is returning, and I'm uh, hoping that they continue their undefeated run uh, because that's a really cool bot. Uh, it's pretty much a giant finger tech, but at 12 pounds. So it's really interesting to see, like, uh, like how uh, and it's run by uh, the Casey's, the Casey's Jermiason. So it's really cool to see how they um, how they embiggened it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, Gil, I have to ask, I see Blue Cheese here. Do you think Blue Cheese is going to uh, shatter its weapon once again, you know? Uh, there's and, two uh, questions here, yeah. Number one, are they going to shatter their weapon? Number two, if they do, 
are we going to catch it on camera? Because there's sort of like a running joke. It's almost like Bigfoot. Every time there's like a huge blue cheese hit, somehow we miss it. Like somehow like our, um, so what happens in uh, just about any sports broadcast or any live TV broadcast is there's a director who is verbally saying, okay, uh, go to camera three. Okay. Uh, camera four ready. Switch to camera four. Um, so some switching quickly is not trivial. And sometimes we accidentally switch to the wrong camera. And for some reason, this happens all the time when blue cheese fights and mainly when blue cheese fights. And I have no idea why it is, but someday we're going to get that. We're going to get that big hit. I was talking to Zach Knight. And so he is the captain of Team Defective and they have like five or six 12 pounders in the bracket. And he was telling me, he was like, blue cheese has the power to become our most devastatingly effective robot. And it has so much power that it is effectively ripping its own weapon apart. Like it is yep. so overvolted and it is so fast. Like that thing is spinning at the maximum tip speed. And, um, and if, if it makes any kind of contact, the, it, it, it will find a, a stress fracture inside of that, that, um, that weapon. And it's really interesting. Like it, it, it is, it's definitely pushing the boundaries of what that metal is capable of. So I, I am really looking forward to seeing explosive fights from, from blue cheese. That's, that's a great tip about blue cheese. I, I really, uh, that really adds a lot of context to it. Uh, there's one more bot I want to highlight and that's axis of evil, uh, which Brandon Zelinsky is bringing um, from what I understand. Um, and I could be wrong here. I believe axis of evil is going to be a new iteration of the star child design uh, where oh. he's changing the ratio of the wheel size to the weapon size. Um, my gut feeling. Uh, and if Brandon uh, like, I, I would love to know for sure from Brandon, but um, I believe what happens with star child is every time it fires, every time it swings that weapon, it moves backwards uh, just because of physics, which uh, affects its reach. And my guess is uh, this new calculation hopefully will minimize that kind of moving backwards and it can get maximum maximum reach. Um, I really hope that's what it is because star child is such a phenomenal bot. It is so cool. It is so weird looking. It's so different. And if Brandon can get that dialed in, that will be a lot of fun to watch. Amazing. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thirties or, or three is next. Let's do thirties next. Um, our okay. three bosses are going to be waddles, George and Kablooey tango. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. Kablooey tango. Um, Waddles is coming with a bunch of different weapons. It's a modular bot this time, I believe. Um, George is George. It's just a big honking piece of metal that hits hard. Um, and Kablooey Tango has uh, been coming for, this is, I think it's third uh, 2023 event. And um, Alex and Lucy just keep on dialing it up and making it better. It's a really, really cool bot. Yeah, um, the last time I talked to Lucy, she said that Kablooey Tango is kind of a prototype for what Valkyrie might become next oh. on BattleBots. Um, you know, obviously Valkyrie, two-wheel drive, um, kind of difficult to drive, um, but Kablooey Tango is a four-wheeled robot, um, same massive undercutter, and they are trying to figure out how best to design a four-wheeled drive design that... Um, Maintains that same kind of stealth bomber um, shape, yep. but improves the uh, the mobility of the robot. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be cool to watch. Um, and Kablooey Tango uh, did, 
me just make sure I get this right. Uh, Kablooey Tango, 30 pound. Um, oh, it's has qualified. Yes. Uh, so they are in for the November event. Uh, so this is more fine tuning that they're working on uh, than any sort of like uh, march towards qualification because uh, they are uh, they are already in. All right. Um, I, I see. I see a little rip on yes. the, uh, the roster. Excited about that. Oh, they are always really, really good. Um, they um, their NHRL record is not what I expected it to be, but they are. Um, I, I think with everything that they've learned from the 250 bot, uh, which has really come together so well, they're putting that into the 30 pound bot. Um, maybe someday they're going to get the flywheel working on the 30 pound bot, but even without the flywheel, it is an absolute menace. And I'm really excited about watching it. Yeah. So this is Anna Zolnikov's uh, 30 pound prototype, I guess, of, of Ripperoni on, yes. on BattleBots. And yes, you're, you're, you're right. Um, they they keep trying to build or I guess shrink the uh, the flywheel down to the thirty pound level. I'm hoping that they're able to get it working because um, that would just make that robot incredible. Like the flywheel design is doing so so well on BattleBots. Yeah. Oh, it's magical watching that bot stay planted to the floor with such an enormous honking weapon. Yeah. I, I also am hearing a lot of on, online buzz about Emperor. Like, oh, I yes. feel like Emperor is like kind of our deep six, you know, uh, yep. or I guess, I don't know, I guess Depth Charge is our deep six, but like it's a uh, it's deep six adjacent in that like it is big. It is scary. People uh, speculate a lot about it. It spins really fast. It hits really hard. Um, I I'm stoked to see its fights. You know, they have a heavyweight castle motor powering the weapon. Really? Yes. Like, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> That's what it's built around. Like, I, wow. I wouldn't be surprised if Jillian and her team started with that. Uh, the Captain Jillian, by the way, is also an NHRL referee. Um, so, well, I want to say, well, she should know better. But, you know, no, she is. Yeah. Uh, she. This is a really cool uh, bot that she's building. And I'm really excited to see it um, to, to, to see it in, in the in the cage. Yeah, I see too that Alex and Richie are back. I, I love oh, that. Oh yes! Oh, they bring such amazing bots. Um, like uh, they, you know, they're not the most competitive bots, but I think to that team, it's really more about spectacle. And if you get a chance, if you come early and get to see Yamato too, it's one of the most spectacular flamethrowers in the competition. Um, it's a flamethrower that's mounted on a turret with all of these weird, almost alternate side like brushes all around the bot. It is really cool to watch it's one of those things that you look in the box and you're like what is happening yeah yeah chris and i we were we were on the desk um at the start of the day back in march and we were calling another fight and out of the corner of my eye we started the yamato fight and it was like it was like the sun was rising over a hill or something (laughs) like it was just so bright and i was like we have to cut away from this fight. I'm sure it's going to be great, but like we have to take a look at this massive fireball that's developing in the uh, the the big box. It was amazing. I've never seen a fire like bot that big before. Um, it's just it's ridiculous and amazing, and I love it. Not since Womper blew up mixtape, uh, but this time <laughs> yes. it's controlled. Um, yes. Now the Kershaws, uh, that that team is also bringing a second bot uh, uh, that is a huge style bot bot that they're calling Say Enorm, uh, and so that's going to be fun to watch. 
Nice. Now, um, Evan Arias from Shredder Bro, he uh, he gave us a little preview last week, but he's bringing a new thirty pounder, which I'm really stoked about too. Yes, uh, he's he's making his way up in the uh, in the weight classes. Yeah, I'm really excited about Shred Bull. Um, there's a couple more bots that I want to highlight. Um, uh, there is Thumb War. Uh, which is a new name for a bot <laughs> called. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that didn't hit too hard, Luke. Um, Thumb War is a rename of Aggressive Hugging, which uh, mm. fought at NHRL uh, a couple years ago. It's um, a 30-pound blood sport from the blood sport team. Uh, they had nice. a lot of radio problems with it in 2021, so hopefully they've they fixed those radio problems because if they got those out of the way, uh, that can be a bot that can go super deep. Um, we have a bunch of bots, um, coming from the UK. Also, I forgot to mention with 12 pounds, Semtex is coming back from the UK. They were here last year. Um, and kitchen grill will be coming from the UK as well. Um, so, uh, that's another one to look out for, but one of the bots that I'm most excited to see in 30 pounds is Chibata. Um, it is from a Brazilian builder, uh, Rato, uh, sorry, Rato Boracudo. Uh, sorry, my Portuguese is very bad. Um, Rato is actually, um, it translates to the rubbery rat and Mm. it's a builder slash host who actually is one of the people behind the street bots series, uh, from Brazil. If you ever get a chance to look it up on YouTube, um, it's all in Portuguese. So don't expect to understand anything they're saying. If you don't speak Portuguese, I don't, but the fights are absolutely amazing. Our friends from AGVS, uh, are, are very heavily involved in it also. Uh, so you see a lot of their bots there. Uh, Daniel Freitas is one of the co-hosts. Um, the production values are very high. The fights are very intense. Um, it's everything that you want from a Brazilian three-pound competition. And Rato um, shows up with a rubber rat mask um, and sunglasses over the mask. So he's instantly recognizable. I've spoken to him over email. He's fantastic. Uh, obviously, his real name is Rato. Uh, but uh, he's bringing a bot. I believe this is his first ever bot. Uh, it's a 30-pound bot called Chibata, so I'm very excited to see it. Um, and Team Warrior helped him out with it. Their, their announcing for Street Bots is incredible. It's uh, so good. I, I wish that I spoke Portuguese so I could you know fully uh, understand and, and appreciate it, but just the level of hype that they have is just, it is... I, I aspire to it. Um, it. It just, it gets me hyped. Yeah, their energy levels are really good. Yeah. Now, uh, on to our very stacked uh, three-pounder, you know, division. Uh, yes. Now, we, we we put in a new cap on, on three-pounders this, this time yes. around, right? Yes. Uh, and it was one of those things where it's just uh, one of those things where we, we needed to do that to make sure the event was manageable. Uh, because uh, while the March issues uh that we had weren't directly caused by the number of bots they tend to act as a force multiplier and once we put the 160 bot limitation in uh because we originally had another 160 bot limitation we said once we had 160 bots we wouldn't we would take out multiple bots from the same builder but we would still go above 160 bots if they were all from unique builders but last week we realized that even that wasn't enough and in order to really reliably guarantee that we could run a strong event uh we decided on a cap and it turns out that um we didn't really hit the cap because we have we still have several bots from uh multiple bots from several builders in so uh you will see a few bots from the same builder because we never actually hit that 160 um 
So that uh, other than one, we did lose one bot. Sadly, we lost Fireball from Brian Boxel, which is his new version of Eruption. But Brian says that he's going to be so busy running Eruption and Waddles that he's he's pretty okay with like not having to worry about Fireball as well. Yeah. Um, you want to pick out a couple of three pounders that, that you're excited about? Uh, I can't pick out a couple. I'm going to have to, you know, it's like grabbing a tissue. You w- reach grad- grab one and three come out, except in this yeah. case, way more than three are going to come out. Uh, there are 20 bosses in the three pound uh, weight class, and I'm going to go through them super quick. We have Eruption, Voxel V1, Fully Defined, Beetlejuice, Crash Fest, Bat Blackbird, Twin Beast, Poliwog, Caldera, Spartan, Inside Job, Kickstart, Sombra, Underbite, Chainsaw Kitty, Kitsune, Ukfunt, Backlash Wave, Poliwhip, and Stag Beetlebot are all our bosses. I am loving the Stag Beetlebot story. Oh, you know, so like, was was a rookie just, you know, six months ago, and now he's a boss. Like, that is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so much fun to watch. Uh, he's a really great builder and it's just a, an example of what we want at NHRL. Like we want people to come who have never like fought before and we want to show that this barrier to entry isn't as high as it might seem. Like you can come and compete and um, like go shoulder to shoulder and toe to toe with your favorite BattleBots builders. And, you know, you can do well if you really, um, you know, if you have the right body, if you really work at it, it's it's really something to see. So a bot like Stag Beetlebot, so much fun to watch. I am I'm loving how many Brazilians we have as bosses oh, yes. as well in the Beatles. Yep. I love watching the Brazilian Beetle weights. It is incredible to walk up into the pits and see them out on the table. They just look different than American Beetle weights. <clears throat> and they are devastatingly effective. I just love the energy they bring to the competition, and I fully expect these robots to go very deep into the bracket. Yeah, Twin Beast especially. I've seen, at this point, uh, I know that there's a, a, a 12-pound bot, I believe, called Doppelgator, uh, that is um, like a Florida version of Twin Beast, you know, where this idea of, like, dual hub motors is just so clever that I, I I can imagine there's going to be a lot more people running with it because it Wagner just has an, this amazing idea that uh, has taken him very deep at NHRL in the past and will probably take him very deep in May. Yeah. Um, I do want to call out two, uh, two robots from the Midwest, uh, Il Pacino and Naga. Yes. Um, as, as robots that I'm really looking forward to, uh, to seeing. Il Pacino run by Stephanie Spooner. And I believe this is going to be her third event. The first two events as rookies, um, she's placed um, in the top three. And this is really her first time out to NHRL and really stepping out onto the big stage. Her first really big test for her beetle weight. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really cool to see. Uh, Il Pacino uh, used to be called Twisty. So it is technically a returning bot. Uh, So uh, just with a new name, but and obviously a new captain. Uh, and we have a similar thing um, with, uh, though actually I think in, in um, Christine's case, Naga. Naga is based off of Wasp, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, Daniel Jin's uh, bot. So uh, that's going to be cool to see as well. 
Yeah, uh, I was talking to Christine and she said, uh, I had Lucy Dew and, and David Jin on the show and um, the opportunity came up for me to acquire, you know, this super dominant design and I jumped at it. And it's like, dude, I totally get it. I have a Shreddit clone um, here. I'm looking at it, you know, um, here in my office. Um, and why not bring an absolutely dominant killer uh, robot to the most competitive combat robot competition in North America as oh, like yeah. your first outing ever. Yep. Um, Christine runs the really incredible outside of the box podcast on YouTube and now on all podcasting platforms. She, uh, she just recently went to Podbean and, um, and is getting onto Spotify and, and Apple and everything like that. Um, and I anticipate that she's going to have such an amazing time. She's going to come away from uh, the competition next weekend. Absolutely obsessed with NHRL. It is an incredible, incredible experience for builders. I hope so. I hope so. Um, a few other bots that I want to call out as being really excited about. Um, you know, I'm looking for, for my list just as I was saying that. Um, Red Panda. Uh, made its debut uh, back in March and was the uh, new bot in three pounds that made it furthest in the bracket. So uh, that's also run by um, a uh, a builder who is normally, a, I think, a Brett driver at NHRL. Uh, Jaron Liebson uh, is, uh, is the builder and captain for Red Panda. Um, Nut Tuck is uh, an interesting bot. That's David Jin and Nicholas Sorensen's bot. I think Nicholas is captaining it, uh, captaining it this time. Um, and it's a David and Nick are designing it as sort of a version of Polywog that's designed to be cheap and accessible to build. Uh, you can make it uh, using a 3D printer, manual lathe, hand tools, and parts from Sen Cut Sen. So it's another example of you know trying to bring that barrier to entry down. Um, and make a competitive bot that uh, most people can can build. Amazing. I love that. Um, any final thoughts, I guess, as we are uh, rushing into our last week and a half before May NHRL? Uh, we are, uh, you know, really working hard on closing all the gaps and hardening all the systems. We're really excited about May. We think it's going to be the best event of the year so far. Um, and, uh, we're, we're really, really excited about it. That's amazing. Now, um, I'm going to switch gears here and we are going to ask you a series of questions about your life and your work, Gil. Uh, <laughs> a lot of NHRL builders sent us in great questions and also fans of, of NHRL. So, um, we've broken them out into, uh, into a couple of broad categories and I'm going to take the first one. These are all questions related to NHRL. Now, um, I'm going to just caution you right at the top. There are so many things that are, um, developing with NHRL. Um, the league is growing very quickly and, uh, we have lots of exciting plans and, um, there are things here, questions that we may not have the answers to. But um, hopefully there are things that we can announce um, in the future. So um, we, we, we may not know everything. Um, but yeah, maybe just uh, give me your opinion on them. Uh, so uh, I'm going to start off with a very simple question. Okay. This is from our friend Alex Pick, who runs Zane at NHRL. Um, what brought you to NHRL Gill? Like, how did you find the league and how did you uh, start working uh, at the league? Well, um, so I'll warn you uh, at the start that uh, it's not 100% like um, uh, 
uh, a happy situation that I was in before I joined NHRL. So just want to warn people that it's not 100% a happy story. But um, I was a game designer and self-publisher. Uh, so I ran my own game company and things were going really well. Um, and at one point uh, I was I got back into BattleBots. I'd watched BattleBots uh, back in uh, to the 2000s um, on Comedy Central. I would get so excited about it that I actually would track the stats of all the bots in a Microsoft Access database. And I'd have a watch party with my neighbor downstairs, Seth. He would come upstairs. He would watch uh, with me and my then wife, now ex-wife, um, who sort of humored me, but she really wasn't into it. Um, and uh, I would like, I had this printout of like all the bots that were going to be fighting that day. Uh, or, you know, all the various bots. And when a bot came up, I would leaf through my printout and be like, okay, this bot is like three and one. Because back then we didn't have the information, like it was just a show, right? Um, and it didn't really have the information that we have at our fingertips today. Like th the web was a thing, but it just wasn't like that level of fandom wasn't quite there yet. Because um, it was still like a show that like Carmen Electra was still one of the, the paid interviewer interviews. It wasn't a very serious, it didn't take itself as seriously as it does now. Um, but I was still into it. Uh, I really loved seeing, um, uh, the team inertia bots. I liked Toro. I liked T minus. Um, I, I loved Ziggo. I liked Vlad the Impaler, especially it's, it's victory dance where it would drive to the middle of the arena and just slowly raise its forts. Um, you know, these are all things that I liked from the original show. So, um, I heard it was back. Um, I saw one of the ABC seasons. I enjoyed it, but I was so busy with work that I couldn't really continue. Then it took a year off. And then when it came back on Discovery, I said, you know what? I'm going to find out a little more about the community. Hmm, I wonder if there is competitions near me. Oh, here's competition Connecticut. That seems interesting. What? They don't charge admission. I could just show up and, and just be a spectator. Okay. So starting in like with the, I think the 2019, the late 2019 season, you can see like this uh, portly guy with long hair uh, and stupid t-shirts, like in the background, watching the fights, like riveted. Uh, to all the fights. So I became an NHRL super fan. Um, then the pandemic happened and um, it had a really bad effect on my business and it had a really bad effect on my brain. And those two things commingled co um, and they didn't work well with my brain. So I wound up almost getting like, I wound up um, getting a case of autistic burnout, which is more of like a, it's really kind of a brain injury. Uh, in my case, it, I've had it before, but this was the first time I realized, like, I've actually had it three times in my life, and all three times it just completely destroyed where I was and who I was, and I had to just rebuild. And that's what happened. Like, I couldn't leave the bed. I couldn't focus on any any tasks that I needed to. My brain was just gone. It was done. It was shot. Um, and as a result, my company just, even though it was like set up to be successful, and had I had a functioning brain, I would have been okay during the pandemic. Well, I wasn't. Um, so um, I started taking odd jobs. I was re having a really hard time making money. Uh, the company was costing me money each month. Um, and then uh, I found out that NHRL needed a sound person in, 2000, in 2021. So I'm like, great. This is not only is it a, is something that pays me money, it's something that I really would enjoy because I would go up there and drive to watch the fights anyway. So I became the sound person. Um, and you'll notice that the sound in 2021, starting with the March 20, 2021 event, starts to get better, um, at least in my opinion, because uh, I started working on it intensely. Um, I also started getting really into the league. Uh, sometime in May, I realized, uh, I think it was the May event, um, 
that I debuted statistics just as a fan because I realized like, you know, there were these bots, Silent Spring, Shred It Bro. I knew they were good, but I had no idea how good they were. So instead of doing the things I needed to do to make money, um, instead I spent weeks obsessively watching each NHRL fight um, and um, catching up on, um, on and just recording these statistics obsessively. Uh, remember, my brain was not really working the way it should be. So uh, it wound up that NHRL was the beneficiary of it because it was like, um, it was like suddenly this was the thing I needed to do. So great. Okay. Um, I have all these stats and I started posting them. I came up with this ad hoc ranking system uh, that was really good. Um, and suddenly like everybody knew how good each bot was. Like we suddenly saw, oh, Silent Spring isn't just good. It's dominant. Um, and we really had a sense of history at NHRL. Um, then from there, I started doing recap episodes uh, just because I really wanted to, you know, sort of explore what happened each episode. And I wanted to get better at Adobe Premiere. So um, I released a few recap episodes. Um, and I think with all that, I started getting more involved with the community. Um, then in late, uh, then in 20, for December 2020, they asked me to move from sound to statistics because I knew so much about the stats of each bot. So I did stats for, instead instead of sound for the twenty for the twenty twenty um, yeah the the twenty twenty one December championship, uh, and then afterwards in early twenty twenty two they announced a job opening for community director and I was already already really well positioned to be there and had already been through a year of just torpor just like my brain not kicking in and working in gear and I felt like this was something that could help me claw at, claw my way out. So I, I uh, applied for the job. They gave me the job. Um, I've been in much better mental shape ever since. So things have been much, much, much better for me. Um, like NHRL really kind of saved me um, in a lot of ways. So uh, now I'm trying to sort of uh, pick up like where I not really pick up where I left off because I'm done for now with game design. I'm working on sort of uh, having other companies pick up where I left off. Uh, with my game designs, uh, because my brain just isn't, that's like a closed door in my brain. I can't open that door. It's like locked for me now. So instead of doing game design, I'm now trying to make NHRL the best possible league it can be. Um, and uh, and so there, it's, it's a little bit personal. Um, and I hope I don't come off as unhinged and, uh, and totally whacked out. Uh, but uh, that's where I came from. And it's why NHRL is so important to me. Yeah, and NHRL is so lucky that um, that you found the league and that you put so much time and effort into it. Um, there are so many things that you help out with <clears throat> behind the scenes that keep the league running really smoothly. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of a lot of people out there, myself included, who really appreciate all of the work you do. Thank you. Uh, Alex has a completely unrelated question. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I guess looking to the future, um, if you were in charge of developing an, uh, the concept for an NHRL-focused video game, uh, what type of video game would it be? And uh, how would you uh, make it fun, I guess? Okay, well, first off, I don't have much experience in video games. All my design was in board games. All my experience was in board games. So, um, you know, I do have opinions on board on video games, but I don't have as much direct experience designing them. Um, that said, um, I feel like uh, I love games with a career mode uh, to the point that I do not allow myself to play some of them because they can be um, 
I could really go off the deep end with them. And it's like, okay, bye everyone. I've I've just got the new version of out of um of out of the park. It's a amazing baseball sim. Um, I didn't really get it, but let's say I got the new version of out of the park. Uh, like I wouldn't see anybody for like two or three weeks because I'd be so glued to it. Uh, so I don't allow myself to play games like that, but uh, that would probably be the way I would do it. Like you would start with, you know, maybe like a simple kit. Um, one thing I would love to do, and this is completely unrealistic and would take way more uh, person power than would be practical, but I would love to do something that had like almost a dwarf fortress level of uh, complexity and realism so that like every time your bot took a hit, um, something in your bot could realistically break. And then after the fight, you'd have to look inside and diagnose, well, what was it that broke and how can I improve it and change it? Which is um, just how real combat robotics works. How realistic is that? That is very unrealistic. But as in terms of like how realistic is it to actually code it and make it into a functioning game? It would not be easy. It would not be trivial. But um, if we're in like um, just this fantasy world where I have the capabilities to make a video game, uh, that's uh, especially an NHRL one. That's the approach I would take. Now, see, uh, that sounds like a very elegant and uh, immersive solution. Uh, I, I feel like uh, if I was going to be, uh, you know, I guess the the devil's advocate here for how do we make money, you know, I, I I'd pitch Austin on like a it's a free to play mobile game, and there's lots of loot boxes, so like the kids are always kind of like trying to unlock a oh my god i got a castle speed speed <laughs> controller oh this is fantastic you know um and uh you know i got a shiny just... wedge i got a shiny wedge <laughs> right right yeah 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 like i i i, I unlocked the uh the little nas x you know um you know paint shop this is great you know we we could be raking in the dough okay yeah, I um I had one of those games um installed on my phone this past weekend and I deleted it today because like I'm actually working on like 3 or 4 hours of sleep because I would wake up like unconsciously I would just wake up every 3 hours to check my phone to see like where I was in the various idle tasks. Um so I'm actually like philosophically more and more opposed to that style. I yeah. I detest it so much because humans are so easily hacked with things like that yes. like i will never make fun of a cat chasing a laser pointer because humans have exactly <laughs> the same things it's just like we figured out a way to do it with like loot boxes and uh daily uh streaks and um and microtransactions and uh limited inventories and all these little tricks you know just uh to keep people at the Skinner box. It's just, uh, I'm physically, I'm just, I get physically angry thinking about it. Just how like I had to like use my willpower to push this game away. And it's not this, even the same thing as like out of the park. I felt like that was more of like an, um, like that's more on me. That's just my personal psychology. Why my interaction with the game is so obsessive. But I feel like something more like with a casual game design, it's so common and it's so easy for anyone to get um, to get obsessed with it because it's engineered specifically for that reaction instead of something like Out of the Park where it just emerges out of these intentional 
uh, design decisions that are made for the best possible gaming experience instead of the best, the highest possible revenue. You're hundred percent right about that, Luke. That's like the way to maximize revenue in a game is to do that. And it's terrible. Yeah. I, um, I, I also get like unhealth, unhealthfully obsessed with games. If, if I, you know, the games can absolutely overtake my life. Um, I played for about three months this mobile game called Tiny Tower. It's awful. Uh, if you see it in the App Store, don't download it. Um, it uh, is the most boring mobile game you can possibly imagine. And the problem is, uh, if you are a very organized thinker, uh, you can optimize the game uh, through the use of like uh, spreadsheets and, um, you know, um, uh, just kind of like uh, obsessive uh, looking at the stats, you know? And at some point I realized, oh my God, I, I've got this tower of over 150 uh, floors and um, I'm evicting people just because they don't like their job as much as they could and um, trying to bring in new people and um, moving them from floor to floor. And at one point I just realized, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a landlord and yeah. this is awful and I'm not even getting paid for this. Uh, and I deleted it and it was like the best feeling ever. Oh, it's a great, such a liberating feeling when you delete those. And also when you look at these idle clickers in the app store, you look at their themes and it's fascinating. Like last year, when you look through a lot of them were about making fictional crypto, you know, um, a lot of them are just based on this idea of getting rich quick by doing nothing um there's just this idea of or even the ones that are about business um presented almost like as uh, an entitlement like all you have to do is do this and this and this and the money will come um there's almost this undercurrent of this idea of um of soulless money making just by these simple hacks uh this way and it's it's kind of ooky you know it's not great yeah it's a uh, late stage capitalism. This is oh, great. Yeah. We're uh, watching Rome burn. <laughs> I get um, I get pushed these uh, the ads for these games where you know you're watching the gameplay and the uh, whoever's piloting the game in this ad is making obvious mistakes and yep. it's just enraging yes. and yeah. you're just like don't don't walk straight out into the group of zombies. Go get the machine gun. Go down the machine gun. Oh, what do you do? I have to download it. <laughs> it's yes. so calculated. It's so incredibly calculated. Uh, Chris, fun fact. I didn't tell you this, but I actually applied for a job at the uh, the company that makes those ads. And um, I didn't get it. Thank God. But um, I, did, I did read like a whole white paper on how... Um, infuriating your uh your your uh, customers through these um these online ads uh, results in a higher conversion rate so um well pretty, it sucks for them because i just bought 50,000 gems by taking out <laughs> by taking out a second mortgage and yeah, i'm going to beat them. this game <laughs> Um, all right, let's uh, move on to some questions from Ryan Hunter, who helps run pit control at NHRL. Hi, Ryan. Uh, he writes, awesome choice. Uh, he's a big fan of, of Gil on the podcast. Um, he asks, what is your favorite part of the NHRL Robot Museum? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I saw this question coming. You'd think I'd have an answer. I've worked um, on a lot of those different exhibits, and I really am proud of all of them. Um, 
I made the copy for all the um, for all of the posters. Uh, worked with a firm on the graphic design. Um, uh, helped arrange everything, like uh, everything where you see them. Um, unfortunately, the thing I'm most proud of is not visible right now because it isn't working as well as it was. But that's the weapon display, um, and it's something that I, that Sam Henchman Sam and I put a lot of work into. Um, so we wanted a way that we could show off the different kinds of weapons that you'd see at NHRL. So uh, Fingertech uh, sells these wooden bot kits uh, that are made by a Chinese company called Sign Salad. So we bought a bunch of them that have common types. And um, what we wound up doing is we, um, we paint, I, I painted them black and red. Um, I built them. Meanwhile, Sam uh, uses uh, Arduino wizard, wizardry to put together a control um, that uh, wired into the robot. So they all plugged into the wall instead of using a battery. And you could spin a dial and press the dial and activate the weapon. And when you spun the dial, the, na- uh, the uh, a computer monitor showed you which bot you were activating and talked a little bit about the weapon. And when I say a little bit, I meant I mean way more text than I should have written. But, you know, you know me, it all comes out. So uh, um, I wrote all this copy, and I think it was uh, really informative for some people and just really fun for others. Um, maybe too much fun because kids would – like spin the spinner to a point where it lost its internal resistance and it's become so loose that you can't really dial in the bots anymore. So that exhibit is uh, being renovated. Uh, Sam is working on the new version of it, which is going to use arcade buttons instead of a spinner. But, you know, um, for the March event, we had had to build two cages. Uh, We had to build cages seven and eight. And Sam is really busy working on other stuff uh, for this event. So... I don't know if we're going to have that exhibit ready in time, but hopefully it'll be uh, there later in the year. Uh, that part, I think, is my favorite part. Getting just to fire the weapons of these different robots is so much fun. I will tell you, uh, Pete Abramson, a.k.a. the Bot Whisperer, he brought up about five or six times um, the weekend that he came to NHRL how much he loved the materials display yes. where you can pick up UHMW versus aluminum versus AR 500 um, because it really made it tangible for fans of BattleBots to come through and say like, wow, UHMW is so much lighter than AR 500 um, because so many people, they just have kind of loose, you know, uh, ideas about the difference between these, these different materials. Yep. He thought that that was absolutely brilliant. And I see it. I mean, today it's a very, very popular. Yeah. It wasn't my idea. I forget whose idea it was, but um, I mean, having, or maybe it was my idea. I don't even remember whose idea it was. Uh, it's <laughs> it really behind the scenes. It's such a team effort that, um, you know, I, I never remember whose idea is whose because it really just, it becomes so much of a, t- like Jim Haney was still working there at the time. So uh, he cut a lot of, uh, of those samples. Um, and, uh, Ed, uh, designed, uh, and built like the, the, the table and the way that everything gets attached to the table. But I think it's so valuable to come up and pick up a piece of titanium and feel like, oh, this is why builders use titanium because it's so much lighter than regular steel. But then I'll pick up aluminum. Oh, that's really light also. Oh, but it's a lot. Um, it's not as, uh, solid. It's, it's not as stiff as titanium is, and as you start to understand the different trade-offs of the material, that aluminum isn't as expensive as titanium, 
but it's not it doesn't um it, it's it's a lot softer than titanium uh, meanwhile there's, there's the differences between ar500 and s7 um, and then you get to see tpu and carbon fiber and you get to pick up and hold all of these samples in your hand and i think it's just so useful like as a fan um, seeing that exhibit come together really helped me understand the trade-offs that builders have to make when building these bots. Yeah, I uh, I know that the, uh, the 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 golden one was was getting stolen a lot, so we've we've since bolted it down to the table. <laughs> so uh, you know you can see it, but you can't pick it up. So that's uh, that's good. Um, uh, Ryan's got uh, another question here. Um, how many battle bots have traveled in your Prius? Two. So. It's um, Valkyrie and Bloodsport um, have gotten the Gill driving service. Uh, So if you are a brutal horizontal spinner from the Northeast um, and you need effectively an Uber driver, you know who to contact. Good, good. Wait, did they did they travel at the same time? No, not at the same time. Different times. So you drove up to Boston twice for. Yep. Wow. Yep. I so um I worked at Audible for 13 and a half years. Um I get free audiobooks, uh lifetime subscription. I am totally fine making long drives because when I'm done listening to once I catch up with Behind the Bots, uh seriously, that's I, I seriously first catch up with Behind the Bots and then I go into an audiobook. Uh is usually the way I do it. So I have no problem making long drives. I'm perfectly happy with long drives. Good. Uh, Ryan wants to know, what are you most excited for this year and beyond for the league? There's a bunch of stuff I'm excited about. Um, Obviously, like we've already announced uh, that we are National Havoc Robot League. You know, we're looking to go beyond Norwalk. Um, I'm really excited about that to see what an NHL event outside Norwalk is going to look like. I'm I have to say I know this is selfish and self-serving but I'm really happy with our new two-round qualification system. Um I think it does everything it needs to. Um it gives builders like those early fights that uh they can lose and not get kicked out of the um out of the competition. Um I think uh it uh it it exposes the advantages of single elimination uh which you know I, I want to be uh, clear here that I'm not opposed to double elimination. I think double elimination works great in a lot of different tournaments. And there's a reason why so many tournaments use it. But uh, there's two things about double elimination that make it just not fit in with well with NHRL. Uh, the first is we just have so many bots. It's not realistic. Um, and the second is once you get really late and deep into a bracket, um, I think it starts showing some cracks. First off, the bots in the elimination bracket tend to be like held together with, um, uh, you know, with the 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 hastiest of repairs, which is inevitable. Like just after a long day of fighting, you know, the it's it's a battle of attrition. And that doesn't really, I don't want to sound all like mercenary, but it really doesn't make for the best TVs. And I think our late fights ever since we switched to the new formats have been far more exciting because the bots are in much better condition. Um, I also think not having to explain how a finals works in double elimination is so much smoother. Like here's the finals, whoever wins, wins, whoever loses, loses. And there's no like compromise there. I I think that's really good. Now, obviously there's things that we miss in double elimination. We miss the story of a bot that loses early and fights their way all through double elimination to win. You know, we had that a few times in 2022 and it was really good, 
but it was such a long event that not a lot of people got to see it. So um, I would rather have an event that is shorter, that more people get to watch, even if it means fewer fights and losing that um, that elimination story, uh, that elimination bracket story. I, I feel like, you know, it's a trade-off to make and we're definitely losing something, but I think we're gaining something too. So uh, that's my take on it. And um, I'm really excited to see how that uh, goes for the rest of the year. Cool. Last question from Ryan. What behind the scenes work do you wish that more people knew about? Um, really what happens in the control room, uh, because a lot I think a lot of people think that it's just one person with a button that's uh, that's like, OK, I want to activate camera three. I'll hit the camera three button. OK, I'll hit the camera four button. And they think that um, I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth. I don't want mean to make this a straw man. But I get the impression that sometimes people think that we have like recordings of um, of everything that happened instantly at our fingertips that we can access at any moment. And it's just not really, it's a lot more work. It's not trivial at all. Trivial at all. We have um, a really amazing uh, sports TV broadcast crew. Like they do motorsports. They're really experienced at this. So like they, they know what they're doing. Um, and they are, um, they're really, really good at it. And the NHL broadcast is long. Like even with a shorter format, like even if we finish at like seven or eight, like we're still starting at nine in the morning. Like it's still a 10 plus hour event and most sporting events aren't that long. So, um, and it's not just long, it's intense. You know, it's not like a, um, a tournament where you only have a few cameras and you're sitting back. I, I'd imagine it's more like, um, a golf tournament, which, you know, might seem relaxing to a viewer, but I can imagine that actually producing it and being a part of it, like there's so many cameras, it's all outdoors. There's so many cables there's so much wireless stuff. There's probably stuff going wrong all the time. Um, so it's probably a huge technical challenge. So it's probably on the order of that because we have so many cameras. There's so much complexity. Uh, there's such a big crew. Um, so I, I think I wish more people really got a sense of how big and complex the operation is because there's a lot of work that goes into it. And it's not just as simple as just put a camera in there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is very impressive when you walk past it. And if yeah. you stand there at the glass and watch it for 60 or, you know, 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, you can see every single person in there is laser focused on their job yes. and um it it is very very complex um so yeah great great answer um linden who works as a cage manager at nhrl asks what's the most difficult thing that you do at nhrl on a daily basis <sighs> you know i feel like the day-to-day -day stuff I don't want to say it's not difficult, but it's all stuff I can handle. Hmm. Um, I think the trickiest things that happen every so often um, is, you know, sometimes there's a Discord blow up or there's like a bad actor on Discord. And I think that's for me is the most challenging stuff is like when there's a bad actor that I have to confront. And uh, but it's important. That's some of the most important work that we have to do because we have to keep the community safe. Um, I wish I could say. Like one thing that we've learned like in the past five, six years that have really taken a heart is when you build a community, um, you can't just say it's a big table. Everybody's welcome at our table. We allow everyone. That's just not true. You can't do that because there are some people who do not observe the social contract. 
and they can't be a part of your community because at some point you got to make a choice. You know, either you choose the people who are ruining your community or you choose the people that you need to protect and you can't have both. You can have one or the other. And it's really important to me to protect the people who need protecting, you know, the people who need uh, that, uh, for lack of a better term, who need that safe space, because that's the whole idea. Like we, as a core value, I know that, you know, people saw when we announced our core values early last year, they thought it was like corporate speak, but it's really stuff we refer to when we make decisions. We're like, well, does this align with our core values? Like, does this like, does this harm accessibility to the sport? Uh, would this uh, affect the builders? Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, NHRL is not really builder first. We do so much to make sure that builders um, uh, are happy and excited about fighting with us. Everything from, you know, arranging uh, them to pre-order meals, serving them breakfast, um, and uh, making sure like uh, they they have all the parts, everything they need, um, no fee to enter, just a deposit. Like there's so much stuff that we really try to do to make it um, to really make it work for the builder, because, you know, without the builders, we're, there's no league, there's no NHRL. Um, so in order to really like have that community going. Uh, we really have to make sure that there isn't somebody that's going to come by and and ruin it all. And I've seen people who were previously bad actors really start to be like, wait, no, I, I think I'd rather like build and help the community. And that's just it's amazing to see like um, that sort of maturity coming in, because I think that speaks to like really the power of the community and what we can accomplish when we all work together. I, I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but uh, it's really true. I, I, I don't mean to make this sound like an after-school special, but it's important to me that we, we do remain a community that um, everybody works together and everybody has a good time. And uh, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. So like to answer the question, like sometimes that work day to day can get really hard, but it's so worth it. And it's so valuable, valuable because at the end of the day, it really is about the community. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 certainly one of the things that we're known for. Um, just having a really, really great tight-knit community that is healthy and accepting and welcoming um, and really, really rookie-friendly. Um, yep. There, there is, um, there's just, and, and, and the builders really in, enforce that. I mean, there's very few times yeah. where we really have to step in um yep but like but the builders are incredible and they're they're really yeah. the stewards of of that that uh that community feeling um yeah and i great. have to say you know it's not perfect you know there's there's always things we can do better so i'm not saying that you know we're this uh paradise nirvana um i will also say that a lot of this comes from the fact that combat robotics is in general a really good community and you go to the discords of most other combat robotics leagues and generally the ones that i've been to have been much better than most discords mm. they're well moderated the people are really cool to each other like everybody it helps when everybody knows each other in real life so you're not just like talking to some abstracted person you know the person the flesh and blood person you're talking to but still, like the, the I think the community in general is fantastic, and I think NHRL really does benefit from that. Yeah, I have one more thought-provoking question, and then we're going to just jump into a quick rapid-fire series of questions that should be pretty fast. Um, but this is kind of last thought-provoking question uh, for at least my section. Uh, George, who runs Spicy Disaster Robotics, has a statistics-related question. Uh, George asks, "What's an interesting stat or stats?" 
that most viewers or participants don't know? Uh, um, I think a lot of it is just the... Um, I, I'm not going to be able to quote the stat uh, offhand. Or I'm actually, I, I could be able to quote the stat. I think it's just the number of bots that and the, the a number of signups that we're getting is growing so amazingly like um keeping track of it since um since 2022 when i came on board um we had 102 bots at the march 2022 events and we were like this is so many bots what are we going to do and if you may remember the march 2022 event uh it didn't go great uh, there was a lot that uh, we had to learn. Uh, we were a relatively new crew because, you know, 2021, it was pretty much just Austin and Saz running everything. In 2021, it was Austin and Saz running everything. And they handed it over to the new team in March 2022. And we learned a lot in March 2022. Um, uh, that was also, there was a COVID art outbreak. If you remember in February, there was going to be an event in February that got pushed to April. So the April event, we only got 80 signups because it was so close to the previous one and it was rescheduled. And that went so much smoother because we we have such a good team and we're able to learn our lessons. Like we make mistakes at NHRL, every uh, league does, but we learn from our mistakes and we very rarely make the same mistake twice. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm so happy to work with uh, this league, but I'm drifting. We're, the question was about stats. Um so the lowest number of bots we ever got at a competition was May 2022, which was 72 bots. If you recall, that was our very first new bots event, which is why we didn't get a lot of bots. Um, from then on, it just started exploding. We got 96 in July. We got 100 level, 111 in September and 132 in November. So we got this incredible curve, uh, you know, adding about 20 or so bots every, um, you know, every event from May to November of last year. So, uh, in fact, we pretty much doubled the number of bots between May and November. Like, November was actually a bigger event than the two-day July event. Like, not by a small amount either. So, And we had to do it all in one day. Um, and uh, I remember we were all like, <laughs> uh, in terms of double elimination, that was one of the things that were like, we just can't do double elimination in 2023 because it's killing us. It's just, it's taking so long. There would be times when there would be a grand final fight and the bot from the elimination bracket would win. And the control room would be like, not seriously, but sarcastically be like, oh no, uh, because they knew it would be another 20 minutes until the next fight. Um, and of course, you know, the the recording would be great. Uh, but you know, it was one of those things where it was just such a long day with so many bots. So January, obviously we released the new, um, setup. It was another new bots event. We dipped down to quote unquote, only 117 bots, which was still the second most we've ever had. Um, and so we thought, okay, we have an idea of what the scale is. Uh, you know, the most bots we ever got is 132. That means when we go in March, we'll probably get like 150 or so, right? In March, we got almost 200 bots. Like we almost have double the amount of bots between March and January. It was absolutely almost absurd how enthusiastic people were about signing up. Obviously, March was the first event since November that people could sign up with uh, a bot that wasn't new. So we knew that we were going to get uh, a lot of signups. We didn't realize it was going to be that many. Um, then we thought, uh, we, now for May, we're like, okay, let's plan for the 
let's plan for the worst and hope for the best. We're going to we're going to really uh plan for like 200 or so bots, but realistically, you know, apart from the planning, we're probably not we're probably only going to get like 150 because all the bots that are interested in fighting already fought in March, right? Wrong. May we get over 200 registrations. Um and that's really what led us to introduce the cap just to make the three pound cap just to make sure the event is manageable we'll have some version of the three pound cap for the rest of the year although it won't necessarily be at 160 bots even for the two-day uh, july event but i think that's the stat that blows me away is just the explosion like the growth that's been happening from march to january and then this this mushroom cloud that happens starting in March 2023. It is a fantastic problem to have. It is exactly what we want at NHRL because we want to grow. We want um, to expand past Norwalk. Uh, we want there to. We want this to be a truly national sport. We want people to see a robot fight and not think, "Huh, that's weird." Look, they're fighting robots. They want to be like, "Oh, I've seen this," or even like, "Oh, that's eruption." You know. I want them to be like uh, for this to be like a recognized sport. And I think we can totally get there, especially with this kind of explosive, enthusiastic response we're getting. So I I think also the way I'm describing this um, describes my philosophy on stats. Stats aren't just a number that you drop and uh, leave for a person. Um, a viewer, you don't just say, well, this bot is three and three and just leave it there because every stat tells a story. And the important thing is what story is your stat telling? Or if you look at the numbers, what stories are the numbers trying to tell you? You know, because you, you don't, they're not there to, for you to lie. You don't want to make, make things up. You want to tell what's actually happened. And this jump from 117 bots to 196 bots between January and March, boy, does that tell a story. So um, I think when it comes to stats, it's really important to know, like, it's not just that it's numbers, it's the story behind the numbers. and well, why is the number this way? And like digging in and finding out like why this this is there. And that's really what makes statistics meaningful. Awesome. All right. I have a series of rapid fire questions. So um, just give me your first thought on it and then we will jump to the next one. Um, and then I'm going to pass it over to my friends, Chris and Lindsay. So All right, I'll try my best. <laughs> okay, good. Um, wormhole Robotics, which brings the robot wormhole to NHRL, uh, Stephen Bogus, love Stephen, uh, wants to know, if you were to build a bot to compete at NHRL, what would it be? Uh, I am, I am supremely, this might sound weird, I am actually really not that interested in bringing a bot. Like, I... I'm not that into competing myself. Like I get too into it um, and I don't have a good time. I don't enjoy myself. Um, I have a much better time on the organizing side of it. Um, so I'm much happier doing this. Uh, so like, this is a very hypothetical question because I'm much more interested in running the event or helping run the event than actually competing. Uh, that said, um, it would probably be either a shell spinner um, or a melty brain. Uh, I mean, because those are easy bots to build and drive, right? Um, <laughs> so um, a melty brain or a shell spinner, because I'm such a horrendous driver that I want something sort of like what Shay does with Big Cookie, um, that it doesn't matter how I drive. All I have to do is touch you and I've done my work. Um, uh, either that or um, 
something with a bunch of rocket motors that can reload. So it can fire a rocket motor, then fire another rocket motor, and then fire another rocket motor. It would be a completely useless bot that wouldn't do anything other than completely obscure the the cage. But man, it would look cool. That's awesome. You should combine the two ideas. That's great. Um <laughs> Kakoto Mane, who runs Serial Killer at NHRL, writes, Hey, Gil, first off, I would just like to say how much I love and appreciate everything you do for the community. Such a sweet note. Thanks, Kakoto. Oh, thanks, Kakoto. Um, Kakoto's question, what are some of your favorite robots that you've seen at NHRL? Oh, you wanted a, you said this was a rapid fire yes, question. Yes, yes. The first three I, that I, come to your mind, Gil. Oh, my gosh. Um, knock off white. Okay. Um, I, uh, our, um, uh, weight rules uh, in 2021 actually forbid knockoff white from coming, and I lobbied for them to change mainly so so they were more in line with other competitions because I wanted bots like knockoff white to compete. So I love knockoff white; it is such an incredible bot. Amazing. It's so cool. Um, Project Liftoff because I love Melty Brains, and um, being there in September 2021 when Project Liftoff went from a 500 bot to a bot you do not want to fight was a ridiculous transformation. It was so much fun to watch. Yeah. I, the third, I mean, there are so many bots that I want to put in here. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm doing so many bots dirty by not including them. Um, and they're all like jamming in the way. Um, I'm going to have to um, go with... Depth charge, depth charge, depth charge. Okay, sure. Let's go with depth charge yes. just because it's um, just because it's so chaotic and uh, <laughs> s- you know so incredible to watch. Good. Um, Craig LeBlanc has a cheeky question. It seems that some builders like to get creative with their bot names. Have there ever been any bots that you had to ask change the name to make it more family friendly? Yeah. Um, how much do you want to go into this? Because you know, well, listen. There's get, there's like, little kids who listen to this, so maybe. Uh, Okay, the, uh, rapid fire. All I'll say is yes. <laughs> um, I would say that uh, one one of one of my uh, one of our proudest moments is when we <clears throat> renamed uh, the Multibot from twenty twenty one waterproof sealant, and uh, you know we, I don't know. I feel like uh, we kind of Barbara Barbara Streisanded that robot. I mean, of course they they did great <laughs> at that event, and people love it. Um, but I will tell you, I feel like every month Austin McCord asks for them to come back. Like he loves that robot. So, uh, uh, well, everybody does. It's so cool. Uh, but um, I think that you should uh, call it by its proper name, Cock, uh, because all I mean, I mean, if Bob Horton over in the UK can say bad feather mucker over and over and over again, then I think we can say cock. No, no. Uh, no, it's gonna be waterproof sealant forever. And listen, that team loves it too. Okay, all right. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. Uh, speaking of names, Jaden Shuba, who runs Walter at NHRL, wants to know: Is it Walter or Walta? It is Walta, just for you, Jaden. Good. Uh, second question: Does Central Jersey exist? Absolutely, it does. <laughs> All right, I'm still not sure. I've never been the there. The Raritan's got to flow somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Dylan Price, uh, this is the second time that he's asked about this uh, across two different episodes, so he's very passionate about this question. He wants to know, can you flood a box and give us combat robots? Uh, combat ro- ro- combat boats, so battle boats. 
This is something Austin originally wanted to do. Uh, we actually have a Battle Boats channel set up in the Discord specifically because we had this idea back in 2021 that we would take the 30-pound cage, uh, we would uh, uh, fill it, not fill it, but we would put a certain amount of water in it, probably in, a, in like a metal tub inside, and then fight like 12-pound Battle Boats. But it's just so much water, and water is heavy that it just wasn't feasible. Um, I'm so happy when the Vegas folks took that um, and they did it with one pound uh, battle boats, which is way easier to deal with and way easier to manage. They still had like plenty of logistical issues they had to work through, but it was really fun watching that. And I hope they do it again. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, the battle boats torch is lit. It's just lit on the West coast. Um, we have no plans at NHRL to do, um, to do aquatic combat at this time. All right. Kyle Caffrey has a forward-looking question that I don't know if you know the answer to, because I certainly don't. Uh, Gil, you've done such a great job building the combat robotics community with NHRL. When are we going to see the Havoc brand spread? And I would love to be involved in bringing the Havoc to the South. Yes, um, we really want um, NHRL to go nationwide. Um I can't talk too much about our plans because we're still developing them. You know, they're still talking about ways we can go. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun, though. The important thing is it's got to still be an NHRL event, mm -hmm. you know. So it uh, it's not going to be just like uh, have someone run their event and just put the NHRL name on it. It's got to be um, an event that is recognizable as an NHRL event. So. Uh, that's really the challenge that we're working through, but uh, I keep on saying we have an amazing team, and I think that it's going to be really cool. Like, we might have to start small, um, you know, with a smaller event and work our way up, because, you know, putting that show on the road is going to be, um, uh, there's going to be a lot of logistical hoops to jump through, but we are going to get there, and at some point, we're going to have, like, a big event uh, in another part of the country, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. Awesome. Uh, final question for me before I turn you over to Chris and his many questions about board games. So I'm going to kind of tee you up with a NHRL slash board game question uh, from Ivan Yang. He's got a good hypothetical. If you were going to create a board game themed robot for NHRL, what would be its name and weapon? I misread this question. I didn't realize it was a board game themed robot. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would call it analysis paralysis um, and it wouldn't have any motors. It would just sort of sit there and it would be the easiest knockout ever. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I'm going to turn you over to Chris. Gil. Hey, Chris. Oh boy. We got some, uh, some board game questions that I promise is not going to leave anyone bored. I expected nothing less. All right, let's get right into it. Our first question comes from that one scorpion who asks, Howdy, Gil. How did you get into game design? So growing up as a kid, I wanted to be a video game designer. I would play my Atari 2600. It kind of shows you how old I am. Uh, my Atari 20, that's even, actually, no, it was an Atari VCS. That's how old I am is uh, when we got it, it was an Atari VCS before the rebrand, before they came up with the 2600, 5200, and so on naming scheme. Um, so yes, uh, I would play that. I'd be obsessed with it. Um, then we got an NES, and I would play that obsessively. Uh, obsessively. Um, then um, 
I, I, I shifted over to computer games, uh, played X-Wing, Wolfenstein, that sort of thing. Um, and I really enjoyed playing video games, even though I was really bad at them. So I'd get a first-person shooter, I'd find a cheat code for him, and I'd play it on God mode. Um, I would beat it in a few hours, and I'd be like, well, I haven't really played the game, have I? And of course, now I know that, no, I have played the game. Playing with a cheat code in a more accessible mode is is, is definitely a way to experience a game, and I'm really glad to see uh, game designers um, put in like accessible modes in their games, because I really enjoy that. But aside from that, um, going back to this time, I was like, okay, well, if I'm serious about wanting to be a video game designer and uh, fulfilling my childhood dream, maybe I should start with board games. Um, and I was aware of board games beyond the regular Monopoly and Scrabble and so on. Like, um, for example, I grew up uh, with uh, Car Wars and Battletech, um, Illuminati, you know, a lot of Steve Jackson games. So I was like, oh, what's Steve Jackson up to now? Oh, there's this game called Munchkin. So I played Munchkin, realized I hated it. Um, I heard about this game called Catan. I played it. It took a while for Catan to grow on me, but eventually I really liked it. But the game that got me into the hobby was a game called Puerto Rico, which is interesting because it's got it's got some problems thematically. Uh, but um, and I actually just bought a version where they actually hired someone from Puerto Rico to consult on it so that it's not as problematic as it was when it originally came out. But Puerto Rico mechanically was the game that got me into board games. And I realized that I liked board games more than like video games. And from then on, I was hell bent on being a board game designer. And it took me about 10 years. I finally started getting games published. And uh, that's how I became a board game designer. That's really interesting. When I graduated high school, I was kind of in that camp too. I really wanted to work on video games. Uh, and, you know, I I kind of pursued more of the graphic design route, um, which kind of eventually then led me into like compositing and, and filmmaking and that kind of stuff. Um, and I did end up taking a bunch of classes in game design, uh, but it was uh, it was just kind of a fascinating look at it's like the clash of, uh, you know, um, of design, of 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 the logistics behind like the playability and replayability of things like actual writing. It's like all these different things that kind of come together in in a format that no other thing like it uh, in the world exists. And it's, yeah. it's just cool. It's really on the scale of something like filmmaking and that it involves so many different skills and they're not most of the time. Um, unless your name is Ryan Lockett, you uh, don't have all those skills yourself. Um, most people need to hire other people. Ryan is this amazing designer who is also an amazing illustrator, and he's also a successful self-publisher. Um, and when I had a booth next to him, I looked over at one point and he was juggling. And I'm like, you can do that too? That is so unfair. Um, Ryan is absolutely amazing. So um, it's it's very rare that you have someone who can do uh, everything at once in, in any kind of games, be it board games or video games. So you kind of need uh, a team of people uh, to, to work on that because the number of skills you needed to make a game, be it a board game or video game, are immense and they're growing by the year. You know, I had a similar background to you. I didn't, I didn't start with the, uh, the Atari VCS, but I... You know, I got uh, an NES probably around the same time that I had an IBM PS2. Oh, yes. Um, and 
you know, I, so I had like a little bit of these very two different worlds where you could have a game like Contra on one console and a game like, uh, geez, uh, what was it? King's quest two on another one. Um, you know, so a game where you're, uh, you know, literally uh, throwing the controller because you're playing Marble Madness and the game will literally drive you insane uh, to, you know, the one thousandth of a second. If you make a mistake, the game is over to uh, a game where like you're using a command line interface to, uh, you know, have a princess not eat a poisoned apple that's in front of her. (laughs) So, yeah, I ended up landing somewhere in the middle. And like, even as an adult now, I love playing games that are almost a hybrid of the two of board games and video games because i can set my own pace and that's like real-time strategy games do you ever do you ever play any of those not really um i see the appeal i think that that they can be really fun uh but i the, the less the less dexterity needed to play a game the better my hands are very very bad um it's one of the reasons why um i'm not so interested in competing combat robots uh just because It's not just the driving, it's the building, it's like uh, putting things together in a tiny space, it's uh, cable management. Um, I'm awful at all those things and seriously do not enjoy them. Um, So so in terms of um, anything that requires dexterity, that's like a no-no for me. Um, Mm. but so I prefer more chill games. I prefer games that are more like point and click and that sort of thing, Um, or like puzzle games and things like that. Oh, I could go down a rabbit hole with you here, but uh, we'll move on to the next question here from Andrew Freetag and NHRL builder Brian Boxel. They have both similar questions, uh, so we combined them here. If you could design an NHRL board game, what would it be? So here's the funny thing. Um, I have a card game um, that is combat robot robot related. Um, I really worked on it very intensely for a couple of years. But then um, the, the problem with it is it's it's very abstracted. Um, so it doesn't, it's weird. In order to make a board game, you have to make a feel like the theme on a number of levels. And it just didn't connect all those levels. Like it didn't have that visceral feel that really makes combat robotics such an amazing experience to participate in, in and to watch. Um, it had the double think. It had you think, try to outthink the opponent, what we call in um, board game design, we call it Yomi. Um, it's the idea of outthinking your opponent. Um, in video games like Street Fighter, it's a really big thing, like just knowing what your opponent is going to do and having the perfect counter ready for it. Um, that's That's Yomi. So uh, it's a Yomi game where the whole idea is you have to know what your opponent is trying to do and then play the perfect counter to it. Um, and then that's going to have an effect on the game. Um, and it's a cool mechanism. It just it didn't connect all the dots that I wanted it to. But it was a really cool game because each bot uh, felt very different from each other. Uh, crushers felt like crushers. You know, spinners felt like spinners. Um, it It had a lot of cool things going for it. You know, maybe I'll... Uh, when my mind gets better, when my brain gets better, I'll um, I'll take another look at it. But for now, um, you know, that's as close as I'm going to get to an NHRL style game. Um, so I'm a huge Catan buff uh, and have been to regional qualifiers. And, you know, I I uh, maybe had a probably a five year uh, span in my life where I uh, 
had friendships that nearly boiled over <laughs> and ruined because, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about that game is um, there are there are so many different types of strategy that rely on, you know, different types of, of personalities and who you can be in the moment. You know, you have super aggressive players, super defensive players, super, super diplomatic players. And, you know, what's interesting about combat robotics is our community is a lot like that too. Yeah. And if you could tap into that, like you have the foundation for a very interesting and very different game. I agree. Another thing about combat robotics that I absolutely adore is how expressive it is, how much support there is for a bot that's not necessarily competitive, but just looks cool uh, or looks amazing or is hilarious to watch on the box. Most other sports would consider that a waste of time. But I think the fact that NA, that that combat robotics has a little bit of that almost professional wrestling flair to it, uh, while still being a legitimate uh, sport, um, I think is really fun and really unique. And I hope that that spirit continues to live on in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I've always said that um, in, in a way it's like combat robotics is it's kind of like uh, I don't know if you've ever watched RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, but it's like it's like this chance for people um, to to come out and strut their stuff and kind of peacock while like showing what they're really passionate and really good at. Yeah, I I I haven't gotten into RuPaul uh, unfortunately, but uh, my 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 girlfriend is into Drag Race. And also, if you remember our first NHRL clip that went viral on TikTok. Uh, was picked up by a bunch of drag race fans. So um, I feel yeah. like there's more overlap between the two communities than you'd initially expect because, you know, there are so many similarities with the competition. Um, but yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I can totally see that. All right, let's move into to Ryan Liu's uh, question who, um... oh, I say we, we dropped the word here. Uh, Ryan Liu from Cobra Chicken writes, Gil, as a designer and a connoisseur of board games, is there a perfect one out there for a casual game night for us uh, plebes? And why or why is it not Catan? Well, I mean, I think Catan, you're you're not going to go wrong. Catan is is a really solid game. Um, there are some people who point out its faults, but these are faults that emerge after playing it thousands of times. <laughs> it's uh, It's a really solid game. Um, in terms of like a family game or a game where, you know, you, you want to hang out with your friends and you want to compete, but you don't necessarily want it to go aggro. I think it's a zillion times better than Monopoly. We're going to get into Monopoly a little bit later, uh, but uh, it's not as aggro as Monopoly is. Um, and yeah. I think that really works in its favor. Um, if there is a downside for Catan, it's that it has a not a runaway leader problem, but a followaway trailer problem. Uh, that uh, especially if you do the custom setup, gener generally there's going to be one person whose dice do not get rolled all game and they just um, they just don't get the resources they need. So um, there's a variant that I like playing with called Poverty is Not Dishonorable, um, in which every time your resources, you do not get a resource from the roll of the dice, you take a token. And on your turn, if you have as many tokens as VP that you're showing, you get to turn in the, that number of tokens and take one resource of any type. Uh, and that makes sure that the players who don't get the, their dice rolled get something. And I think that's a really cool little fix. Uh, as far as non-Catan games, oh, there's so, so many of them. And it depends on the kind of experience you want because every game has a different experience. 
Uh, there was a game that really tore through the board game community just before the pandemic uh, called The Bind. Um, it's a simple card game, numbers one through 100. And the idea is you're all playing cooperatively as a team. Uh, you all get dealt these cards. Everybody gets dealt one card in the first round, numbered one to 100. And you have to play these cards um, in order without talking to each other. So it's a matter of like silent, non-communication communication. And it's just really amazing to see how groups adopt conventions um, to communicate without communicating effectively. It is It really did catch the board game community by storm to the point that there were people who would go to conventions and only play the mind, like for 12 hours straight. It was amazing to see. Um, Code Names is a game that uh, real another one uh, that uh, took the game um, uh, game community by storm. And when the designer of uh, Vlad um brought the game to America to play test it at a convention, he thought it was just going to be this like little game that he released off to the side that wouldn't do well. And people just would not stop playing it. And then he realized he had something. Um, and then they just couldn't print enough copies uh, when it came out. So that's been a huge success for Vlada and his company. And Vlada is a really cool guy. So I'm so happy about he he has two like best in class games in completely different genres because he has code names, which is one of the best party games ever made. But he also has Through the Ages, which is one of the best civilization style games ever made. So um it's just amazing how ridiculously talented some of these designers are, and he's definitely one of them. Um if you want to get heavier, um you know, there's a bunch of other games. Uh, one of my favorite games that's really complicated and takes a long time to teach is a game called Terra Mystica. So if you're up for it, like a three to four hour experience with a lot of rules, with a lot of interconnectivity, but that just burns the brain so well, I would suggest that one. Um, I know a lot of people really enjoy um, um Vital Lacerda's games for the, those reasons. He has games like Lisboa and Kanban that are very similar in terms. They have enormous rule sets. They're very complex. But once you get started playing them, like you fall into them. You really, really like them. Um, and then there's games that are in between, like Terraforming Mars, I think, is a game mm. that is uh, just a phenomenal game. Uh, really, really, really good. Um, and there's so many games that I'm missing here. But, uh, you know, that's just a little bit of a starter. Oh, I'm going to give one more game a shout out, a game that came out a couple of years ago called Super Mega Lucky Box uh, from Phil Walker Harding. That is uh, just this really simple 20 minute game that is so much fun uh, and really, really good to play. It's like gamer bingo, but uh, it's one of those that you finish playing it and you just want to play it again a second time. It's that good. That's really cool. Um, I have a question here from Fallout Builder, Matt Lantry, who wants to know, what do you think, Gil, is the most underappreciated mainstream board game, uh, a-, a la Monopoly, Scrabble, etc.? I'm going to go with Jenga, um, because it's not immediately obvious, but the secret behind Jenga and what makes Jenga work is each of those blocks is cut irregularly, like intentionally. Because the game doesn't won't work if all the blocks are perfectly cut and perfectly even. They all have to be a little bit off and a little bit askew in order for the game to actually work. Um, when it comes to that sort of mass market game design, I cannot tell you how difficult making a game like Jenga is and how much of a just a, I don't want to say lottery ticket, but 
because it's a lot of work behind making these games. It's a lot of like coming up with these all these different kinds of ideas and like it just works, but it's just a little too complicated. In a game like Django that is immediately understandable, um, immediately playable out of the box and has such an amazing tecti- tactile feel to the point that people are terrified of it, like they get more and more scared towards the end. To the point that a couple of role-playing games have been made with Jenga as the resolution mechanism. One of them is a horror game called Dread that every time you try to do something, um, you you have to pull from the tower. Um, and if you uh, decline to pull from the tower, something terrible happens to your character. And if, you're ca- if you um, knock the tower... Uh, over your character is doomed they won't necessarily die immediately but they are doomed and it's such a great model of tension uh, because <laughs> the tower is going to fall at some point and not all the characters are going to make it out which character is not going to make it out just depends on the pull um there's this another game called Starcross that's just for two players the fact that it's just for two players means the tower is not necessarily going to fall so what the game's about it's a game it's a romance game where these two pl- the two characters it's a two player rpg and the two characters um at some point they might fall in love they might smooch and they might not if the tower falls the characters kiss if the tower never falls the characters never kiss it's such a cool twist uh so it's uh i would say jenga just the way it has captured the minds of so many players and designers um i'd say is a very underrated uh, mainstream game. Uh, the design is so clever. Today I learned that Jenga blocks are irregular. Yes. Wow. I'm the Jenga block of people. <laughs> we, we're, we're all there. We are all there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I got a good question here from Adam Bear. What do you think is the worst designed popular board game and what changes would you make to improve it? Trivial Pursuit. Trivial Pursuit is about as poorly designed uh, like it was made in a different time right it was made during a time when you could get away with this stuff um but almost every game of trivial pursuit that i've played at some point like two hours in people forget about that they ignore the board and they just pull stuff pull cards out of the box and they just read the cards and that as a game designer is a bad sign that is a sign that something is wrong that is a sign that your board is not necessary in the game and you really need to design the game around the questions like monopoly a lot of games of monopoly run long but that's not necessarily monopoly's fault a lot of games of Trivial Pursuit run long, and that is absolutely Trivial Pursuit's fault. You play by the rules, and it's still just this game that overstays its welcome. A trivia game should not be longer than one hour, let alone two. I would, I, Yeah, I'd, I'd totally jump on board. That's a great answer. I would follow up with that and say Risk. Um, risk is a... It, it could be a, a lot of fun, but... Uh, you know, towards end game, it just becomes this monotonous dice rolling. Like your, you know, your eyes are rolling just as much as the <laughs> dice as hundreds of these units would just kind of you, you go. And and you know, if you're if you're batting three hundred that day with with dice, you can uh, totally change the board state. And then you know what? It's not like the game just quickly turns over at that point. No, nope, we got four more hours to go. 
Um, yeah, I feel like with Risk, at least uh, Hasbro has worked hard in trying to refresh Risk and put out new versions of Risk that are much more playable. Um, whereas with Trivial Pursuit, that's just not the case. Trivial Pursuit is, uh, it, if you buy it off the shelf now, it will still be a terrible gaming experience. And the reason why I'm not happy about that is because people play it and then they say, I don't like board games because that game of Trivial Pursuit was so terrible. And there are so many better games out there, even trivia games. My cousins and I, we used to take the, the game of Risk. Obviously, we would, you know, sometimes just play until it was light out again yeah, the next yep. day. And it would always kind of end the same way with us all hating each other. So we, 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 we kind of fashioned a different way to play it where, you know, based on the size of the continents that you controlled, you only had a certain number of armies. And every time those armies would meet in contested territory you would play a game of Stratego <laughs> if it was on open land. And if you were crossing a strait for that to happen, you had to play a game of Battleship. But that is how <laughs> the, uh, the the battles would, you know, kind of unfold and the losing army would have to retreat and they would have to go deeper into their own territory to uh, to replenish. It was really cool. And it would make it actually go faster despite the fact that you're playing three board games not one i i completely believe that that is really really hilarious but real that's really clever I, I i enjoy that um the only game series that i know that is like that there's a game series called gif um gipf a series of abstract games by chris brum um and if you played the main if you had all the gif games you would play the main game gif and if there was some there was some sort of a defined conflict in gif that if you if you encounter it, you play one of the other GIF games to resolve the conflict. So GIF <laughs> becomes the the um, the meta game, and then you play another game in the series like Yinch or Zerps to resolve that conflict. It's it was so it, it was a released version of exactly that idea. All right, uh, that's that's um, that's a game I'm going to look into. But um, so I have a question here from Heather Stringfellow who asks if you were designing a BattleBots version of Monopoly. Which bots would be tokens and what properties would be featured on the board? Huh. You know, I feel like there are more important things to do with Monopoly. Um, I think the first thing I would do is I would have some piece of electronics that would come with the game that if it detected that you were putting money into free parking would release a, sha a, a sample, an audio recording of Ethan Kurtz screaming at about 130 decibels uh, to prevent you from making <laughs> that horrible mistake. Um, and that, I think, would greatly help uh, Monopoly. Because uh, Monopoly is a game that you have to play by the actual rules of the game, not by these house rules that everybody plays with that turns the game into like a five-hour death march. No, you don't put money in free parking. You don't collect money. You don't put money in the center of the board. You don't collect money when you land on free parking. And if you land on um, a property and do not want to buy it, it gets auctioned. Now, uh, the, the Parker brothers never announced how the auction is run so the way you want to do the auction is up to you uh but if i guarantee you if you play by those actual rules the game will actually run only about two hours and it's actually going to be a somewhat interesting game now it's a bloodthirsty negotiation game and it ends with only 
not only, I mean, most games end with only one winner, but it's such a battle of attrition. There's no such thing as a close game in Monopoly because it ends when all players but one are bankrupt. That means one player has acquired all the money in the game and everybody else has gone bankrupt. Um, and so I feel like that's one of the reasons why the game is so vicious. Um, like I, uh, one of my friends who's a game designer who worked on uh, one of the recent Lord of the Rings puzzle games, um, his name is Marcus Ross. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy uh, based in Omaha. And Marcus and his friends annually have a Monopoly game. And he describes his Monopoly play style and his group's play style as ruthless and efficient. And that is the way that you have to approach Monopoly is um, is that way. If you don't like that kind of game, and I think one of the things I realized when I started getting into games is there are so many different aesthetics in games, and there's so many different kinds of games that you can play. It's not just let's play a board game, but what kind of experience do you want? Um, and games don't have to be ruthless. They don't have to be bloodthirsty. You know, they can be casual. They can be relaxed. Uh, they can be uh, easygoing. They can be nerve wracking. They can be more puzzly. So it could be more like heart pounding, but the heart pounding is coming from, are you doing the things the game wants you to rather than are you going to be attacked by another player? So you don't have to like read someone's mind. You just have to read the game state and know if the game is going to treat you well or not. Um, so there's games like that. There are so many different, and of course there's like silly games and games where just that are more relaxed, that are just about laughing and do, doing stupid stuff. Um, there's so many different kinds of games. So um, if your only experience with board games is Monopoly, uh, there are so many different kinds of games out there, uh, and it doesn't have to be Monopoly. And the fact that it's seen as the be-all and end-all of board games is such a problem with mainstream board games uh, that I wish more people knew about other games. Anyway, sorry, getting back to Heather's question. Um, I think Tubestone would have to be a piece. Um, I think um, Witch Doctor would have to be a piece. Um, wait, did she ask for BattleBots or NHRL bots? So she was asking, if you were designing this BattleBots version of Battle Monopoly, bots. which bots would okay. be uh, yep. tokens yep. and what properties would be featured? Yeah, so I think what I would do is I would make the modern bots um, uh, the pieces, so Witch Doctor, Tombstone, etc. I'm not sure if I have Bite Force, uh, just because they haven't competed in the past few years. Uh, but for the properties, I wonder if we could make those Comedy Central battle bots. So, you know, you'd have Toro and you'd have um, Ziggo and you'd have Vlad the Impaler and Biohazard and all these classic bots as pieces, as, as properties that you can land on. Um, but you'd be landing on them with, um, with modern things. That's not terribly thematic. Maybe I should think about that a little more. Um, cause another way you could do it is you could make the monopoly board look like the battle box. Um, and you can make the properties more like the areas of the battle box. Like you can make, uh, this, uh, group of properties, the screws, and you can make this part of the part of it, the kill saws and this part of it, the pulverizers and so on and so forth. Uh, so there's some design space in there that maybe you can mess with, but you know, you're, you're trying to take a, um, a game about uh, property and bankruptcy and uh, turn it into combat robotics. And while I feel like the bankruptcy part is relevant to combat robotics, the property part isn't. So that's why it's a little bit challenging, I guess. But I think that would be my uh, my starting approach. And then I would go from there. I like the idea of having it shaped like the or uh, be, being more functionally like the, the battle box, like go go directly to the shelf. Do not pass <laughs> the pits. Yeah. 
All right, I got a question here from combat robotics photographer John Bennett, who wants to know, what is your favorite Dominion expansion set? Oh my gosh, great question. Um, Probably pos- Prosperity. Um, I really like what it did with money um, and how it just leaned into the big money strategy. Um, uh, I would have to go with that one. I think that's a really, really good one. Um, really glad to know that John plays Dominion also. That is, that's another game that turned the board game world absolutely on its head when it came out. And people were playing nothing but Dominion when it came out. Another specific question uh, for those that are in the know, Ian Miller, who runs Quicksand at NHRL, asks, what is the best starting corp in terraforming Mars? Uh, well, I'll start by saying that uh, the out of all of the corporations, the one that I'm most relaxed playing with is Helion. Uh, that's the one that lets you use uh, Heat as MC. Um, so I, I find that that's a strategy that I enjoy playing. Uh, I I am not convinced that it's as broken as people say it is. A lot of times people will play a game once, see it go a certain way, and then declare that it's broken. Uh, whereas in reality, if you play it, like I, I remember I did that once with one game. I'm like, oh, this this uh, starting character is obviously broken because they won so easily. The next time I played it, I'm like, nope, I'm playing that character and I'm going to win. And I came in last. Um, and then I realized that, no, it's not necessarily broken. You just have to play it several times and it really depends on the game. Um, these games get play tested a lot more than you think. Uh, so um, so these um, accusations of this, this is broken, play it a few times and then and, and then uh, give it a shot. Now, if you play it several times, you play it like 10 times and Helion wins all 10 times. That's something else. But um, in my experience, Helion does not always win. Um, In fact, in my experience, the player who best uses the board wins, which is a problem for me because I like using the cards in Terraforming Mars. So I usually wind up with the most Terraforming points um, and then uh, scoring happens, and I'm completely eclipsed by the players who put down all the cities and the for- all the forests. Um, so yeah, that's that's my answer in terms of um, best or worst. You know, uh, I, I will say one more thing about this. I remember playtesting a game. Um, it came out as uh, Blood of an Englishman from Renegade Games uh, by Dan Kassar, great guy. Um, And Dan had a problem when he was designing the game because it's an asymmetric game between Jack and the giant, you know, the beanstalk. And the problem was um, they were balanced as long as both players knew how to play. But if you were just starting out, Jack would always win. So the impression was, oh, well, Jack is broken. Giant is underpowered. But then you'd play a few games. You'd learn how to play the giant. And then you'd realize that it was balanced. And this can be a problem in so many asymmetric games that's not just about like whether they're balanced or not. It's are they balanced with an equivalent skill levels or at various skill levels? Uh, so that's another thing. Like game design is so hard. I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'm not doing it anymore because I'm looking back. I'm like, man, this stuff is hard. Hello, Gil. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, I'm taking over for Chris. Well, uh, what have you got for me, Lindsay? Well, I have uh, uh, just an assortment of very random questions, so uh, let's roll with it. All right. Um, the, the first one is from Regan Bachelor, who writes, Hey, Gil, to start, I want to thank you for being Norwalk statistician. I've been piling over NHRL stats for a data analysis project. 
And I appreciate how easy you made it to find the information I need. So that's pretty cool. I'm really grateful for, to hear that because that's the whole idea is to expose the history and to have everybody know, like, this is what the bots have done. This is how the bots have performed. Um, and it's also just important to say that, like, uh, I don't want to say a bot is better than another because it has a better record or a higher ranking. I love all the bots equally, uh, but I think it's interesting to know the history. Yeah, and uh, I'm also really interested in what Regan's uh, data analysis project yeah. is. I I'm, uh, would love to hear more about that. But his question is, is there a story that you've always wanted to tell, but haven't had the opening or conversation to tell it? Tell us that story. Wow, that that can go in a million different ways. Huh. Okay, well, um, uh, all right. I want to actually um, uh, handle this with all of you. Uh, like, are you all there, Chris and Luke, as well? Chris is not here just because we had to put the headphones on, Got so it. he can't hear, okay. unfortunately. Okay. Okay, awesome. Um, I want to answer this by playing a game of Two Truths and a Lie. Are you up for that? Really quick. Yeah. Okay, all cool. Right. All right, so I have three statements. Two of them are true. One of them is a lie. And I think this is a good way to answer Regan's story. Okay, so... Statement number one, and if you, I have revealed these on previous board gaming podcasts, so if you've heard those, you might know the answer. Statement number one, um, there is a piece of music that is performed by someone speaking into a microphone for about a minute and then remaining silent for roughly the next hour. I have seen this piece performed three times, once by the composer. That's my first statement. Oh. Oh, my second, <laughs> my second statement. I uh, took high school classes with Sue Bird and Adina Mansell. That's statement number two. I want that one to be true. <laughs> statement number three. Um, I once recorded um, a band that was a tribute band for an obscure um, thrash jazz band called Naked City. Um, these really bizarre one minute pseudo hardcore jazz songs. Um, I recorded them in college, the keyboardist of whom went to become a well-known Broadway musical director working on Hamilton. That is statement number three. Wow. Uh, now, now, Gil, I, I feel like I've cheated a little bit because uh, I, I, I Googled the Adina Mansell fact. And uh, yeah, they, they did go to the same high school. I guess the question is, did you go to that high school? Incredible. It's a good question. I, I feel I feel like that. That, that would that would that would I, I want to be true. So what do you say, Lindsay? Yeah, I, I also want it to be true. But it seems like the easiest one to make up because the others were so specific. Now, also going to the same high school, I'm, I'm looking at this, Judd Apatow. So uh, kind of interesting that uh, Gil didn't uh, bring up Judd Apatow for that high school. You know, Gil, were you aware that uh, Judd's a fellow alumnus of your of your high school? Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. All right. That one's got to be a lie, Lindsay. All right. <laughs> I, I'm calling it a lie. All right. Okay. Have you locked in? Yes, we're locked in. I think in. we're locked in. Yeah. So let me start by saying, number one, the piece that is performed 
by speaking into a microphone um, is called I Am Sitting in a Room by Alvin Lussier. It is an amazing piece of music. What he does is he speaks into a microphone um, and then records what he's saying and plays it back over and over again. And the effect is sort of a musical version of uh, photocopying the same thing over and over. It gets distorted and it turns into pure tones. It's actually kind of a beautiful piece of music. Um, and I have seen that performed three times, once by Lussier himself. Nice. Um, so that one is correct. Um, number two is indeed the lie. I did not yes! go to school Lindsay. with Adina Metzel or... Um, I did not say, did not take a class with them, um, with neither Adina Mansell nor Sue Bird. I went to school with their sisters and had them as classmates. Wow. Um, and statement number, which makes statement, num statement number three, true. Um, I did record Alex Lacamore's, uh, thrash jazz naked city cover band. I have not gotten to chat with him in a very long time. I'm in touch with his bandmates, but, uh, you know, he's so busy these days. I don't even know if he remembers me, but um, it, it was my sometimes like you go to college with someone and they absolutely blow up and it's cool to see. Uh, yes, I knew that Judd Apatow went to Syosset High School um, and uh, Sue Bird, I don't think, went to Syosset High School because she went to a Catholic school uh, so that she could be on a better basketball program, uh, which obviously paid off. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Syosset High School was a. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting people that came from there. Um, and yeah, those are my two truths and a lie. Now, how many people have gotten it correct? I mean, I feel like Lindsay and I were pretty sharp. Um, not a lot of people get it correct. Yes, um, yes. It is. Uh, it's a tricky one because it is so specific. It, that's, that's how you have to win two, two truths and a lie for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, that's great. Wow. All right, Lindsay, well, well, well done to us. Nice job, Luke. And nice job, Gil. I really love that approach that you took to answering that question. Um, I want to play again, but uh, <laughs> the, show, the show must go on, I guess. Yep. I did not even um, mention that I worked on the first two Pokemon movies. What? Yep. I was a oh. sound editor. Gil. Wow. I love that. Gil, I'm, come on. I'm in the credits. Like, if you go <gasps> to the end of the two Pokemon movies, um, I'm uh, uh, assistant sound editor. I think I was apprentice sound editor for the first one and assistant sound editor for a second, or I may have been assistant sound editor for both. Uh, but that was my start. I started out of college um, as a film sound editor. Uh, so that's why I, I know sound. Um, and so there are some things in the second Pokemon movie uh, sound wise that are entirely mine, including the fact that everybody, like all the English speaking characters in the second Pokemon movie um, all of their dialogue matches their lip flaps because I spent <laughs> like two freaking months on that, like <laughs> syncing all of that together. Um, the woman who does uh, Jesse's voice and Bulbasaur's voice, um, she has a very saliva-ish mouth. So I had to clean out like <laughs> all of like the that. She's wonderful. Um, she's she's uh, such a talented voice actor, but like that, uh, she's the one I think I had to do the most work on. Uh, but everything else was really cool. And then there was some sound effects stuff that they needed. Like uh, there was a big scene in the end where Ash is like in the ocean and there was a storm and the storm just didn't sound big enough. So I had to run upstairs and put in some extra storm sound effects. And I remember we played it back in the mix and we finished the scene and the mixing engineer just looked back at me, like swiveled his chair around and gave me a thumbs up. I'm like, yes, yeah. that worked. 
Oh, that's awesome. One of my favorite things to do when I go see a movie, um, we generally, you know, sit through the credits and just watch. Yeah. Um, And I love to just pick out some of the more unusual or memorable sounding names mm-hmm. and that are just, you know, who have, you know, random jobs on the production, usually like on the technical side. And I like to like look them up and see, you know, <laughs> what, uh, what led them to having this very specific job on this, you know, very specific movie. And so I like to think that someone out there did the same thing and saw your name under, uh, assistant, you know, um, sound editor, audio, yep. sound editor yep. and, uh, and, and found you and learned about you. I hope so. That's, Awesome. Um, all right. So Michael Cross, who runs Stag Beetlebot at NHRL, has a good question. Besides your normal superpowers that you have, what three superpowers would you like to have? Ooh. Oh my gosh. Um, I would like the superpower to eat vegetables because um, my neurodivergent brain can't handle them. Um, it kind of stinks, and I I wish that I could eat whatever I wanted. Uh, so that would be a good superpower. Um, I would like the superpower to never sleep. Um, that would be nice. Um, and I'd like the super superpower to time travel, and that m- would make my life a lot easier. I like it. I like all of those. So Mark Rennie, who runs Eel Monkey Art, has a fish-related question. And hopefully you, know, you understand this a little bit better than I do. Under what circumstances would you consider shoaling better than schooling and vice versa? <laughs> I know so little about fish um, and my name is only one L. So I really have nothing to do with fish. I will have to direct <laughs> you to a person who knows more about uh, about fish. That is that is a fair statement. And uh, sadly, I'm not that person. So if you're out there and you're listening, give us some insight here. <laughs> uh tom Ferkus, our favorite beloved builder who not that we have you know not that we show favoritism but uh who runs positively hysterical at nhrl has a good series of questions one how did you get so awesome um i was not awesome for a long time and then i reversed thrust (laughs) what is your sleep schedule like because when i message you at 2 a.m you respond within 30 seconds question mark uh it's hot garbage (laughs) i do get insomnia (laughs) a lot of times um but uh i um you know i try to grab sleep where i can but uh i'm not the best sleeper is a trained wasp that is released and stings the other bot considered an active weapon Oh, I mean, this is really a Rob question, isn't it? <laughs> that's what I would do. I would say henchman Rob, help me out here because, uh, you know, that's usually what I do with active weapon questions anyway. Uh, but you want me to a- <coughs> answer that. So um, I will say that if the wasp is made out of metal, then yes. You heard it here, Tom. <laughs> Official answer from Gil. Oh, thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, What's your favorite color? I mean, when I play board games, I usually wind up playing red and I have no idea why. Um, It's just something that I get used to. But I don't really have too many favorite colors. Um, My graphic design skills are not great. Um, I'm just happy to be able to see color. I like seeing contrast and colors and things like that. So, you know, uh, I think uh, a color scheme that works uh, is really pleasing to me. So I'm not going to play favorites here. Love it. Love it. Can we get a random gill fact? 
Oh, I've given you so many. I, I was going to. Okay. Um, all right. I'll give you <laughs> one more random gill fact that hasn't come up. Um, I'm a, um, I'm a huge fan of ferrets. Um, I love ferrets. They're my favorite animal in the world. Uh, I normally have ferrets as pets. Um, right now, um, I'm sort of taking a break from them uh, until things sort of stabilize in my life. But I'm looking forward to getting more of them. Um, like I want to get a pair of ferrets who are bonded with each other um, in uh, later this year uh, because I could really use that in my life. You know, that's they're the best pets in the world. Imagine an animal that has the temperament of a puppy or a, a kitten and keeps that temperament for most of their life. Um, they're phenomenal pets. They love humans. Uh, they're domesticated. They're not wild. They have no idea what to do in the wild. Um and as long as you know that you're not getting a gerbil or a hamster, you know, you're getting an animal that needs stimulus, needs human attention, you know, craves human affection, that sort of thing, wants to play. Um, I think you you got a great pet. My uh, one of my best friends in high school, her sister had a ferret. Um, and I don't know that she really understood the um, yeah. requirements of taking care of it. Yep. <laughs> and I don't know that it had a great life, but oh. we would often find it in our, well, in her like drawers and it would, you know, be doing things it probably should yeah, be doing. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our most recent ferret uh, had that, uh, had that habit, you know, she would, uh, she would take a nap in our drawers. And so we would set aside her favorite drawers and just put like old spare clothes that would, wouldn't wear there as bedding. And she really enjoyed that. Um, oh, that's cute. Yeah. That's, that's better behavior than uh, Daisy. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I mean, they're not an inordinate amount of work. It's just uh, they're about the same amount of work as a cat. Uh, so you just have to be in for that and be prepared for that. And as long as you're prepared for that, you know, you're going to be fine. Um, all right. So Tom wraps up by saying, seriously, though, you're amazing. The people like you. Um, are part of the reason that I kept coming back after a rough patch last year. You've always been so kind, and I appreciate you and everything you do at NHRL. That means a lot to me, Tom. Thank you. All right, so we will wrap up here with a series of thought-provoking questions from Horizon team member Mary Catherine Carr. All right, hit me, Mary. All right, Gil, so, uh, since so many are asking you about board games already, let's talk about music. What would your soundtrack be for NHRL? Or if that's too much, how would you go about making a theme song for it? Uh, no, I, I think our, the soundtrack, um, I think there. OK, so I'm pushing 50 years old. My music, my musical tastes absolutely reflect that. So um, I feel <laughs> like, uh, you know, things my my suggestions may be a little bit dated. Uh, nevertheless, I'm going to roll with them just because of my age. And I hope that uh, uh, younger folks will humor me with that. But um, I feel like uh, we should really do industrial music. Um, and so uh, like my first choice would be Einstrasene Neubatten, uh, just absolutely phenomenal band uh, from Germany, obviously. Uh, and they would uh, they they would use things like jackhammers and sh microphone shopping carts as instruments. Um, so I think that would be a great one. Um, I don't think I would go as far as Ramstein because they're a little more um, they're a little more showy for my tastes. But you know, something like just just really interesting and um, maybe aggro. Uh, music, I think that would really work for me. But that's that's sort of my thing. Uh, I don't think it fits in with Austin's vaporwave thing, but that's <laughs> what's running through my head sometimes. It's not the only kind of music I listen to, but it's uh, it's the first thing I think of is you know I think of a song 
um, uh, from Eintracht Zeni Neubaten, like uh, Head Cleaner, I think would work well sometimes. But, you know, that song is also abrasive as hell. So I don't know if that would work great. Uh, Their <laughs> early stuff, like they have albums like uh, Five on the Open-Ended Richter Scale. I'm not going to try pronouncing that one in German. Uh, that one <laughs> is a tough listen for a lot of people because it's a very chaotic um, a- a album. But uh, uh, once they got into, even Halbermensch, the album afterwards, got a little chaotic. But uh, as they got older, their music got more melodic and more mellow. So um but that's like i think a good um soundtrack i think other noise bands might work well there's a group called ladio balaco that used to play uh, a lot in new york city and they are um uh they they are an incredible noise band uh they have some songs that are uh just incredible but real not easy listens so like if you listen to the song nurser it's like 11 minutes uh and it's uh play it loud but uh don't blame me if you don't like it um <laughs> There's a band called Neptune. There's a bunch of bands called Neptune, but the Neptune I'm thinking of is, I think they're from New England. Uh, and they're the, like this really noisy band that does all these weird electronics. I got to see them perform live and they were amazing. Um, there is a band called Yvette that has some really noisy music uh, that I really like. Oh, and of course, there's a Japanese band, a legendary Japanese band called Boredoms. Uh, that is incredibly noisy. That is mainly when they started out, it was pretty much just organized screaming to a drum beat, uh, but <laughs> absolutely amazing, remarkable music. Uh, and their newer stuff is absolutely heavenly. It's it's just this really incredibly smooth music with like a bunch of drummers and one guy jumping around with a microphone. Um, so they're they're a really good good band. So I think industrial and noise would be the, my soundtrack for NHRL. That sounds amazing. I personally love chaotic, noisy music. Awesome. And so I'm going to have to check out some of these bands because I've not heard of them before. So thank you, Gil. Oh, I, you know, who else is into this kind of stuff is Henchman Sam. Um, yeah, I've I bet. i played some that of the tracks. stuff for, for him and he's really enjoyed it. So, so yeah. Cool. Um, I will, I will ch- definitely check that out. Um, Mary's next question. What would a ferret themed bot be? Um, I think a ferret theme bot would, um, uh, be a crusher because it would grab the other bot and run the other bot over to the corner and drop it in the corner because that's what ferrets do. They like to steal things and, um, run behind a dresser. Like I would, I had a ferret (laughs) once, uh, I would get these cans of soda, a drink can of soda. And she was just interested in the can. So I'd finish drinking the can of soda. I would toss it to her. She would like sprint after the can of soda. She would pick it up and then she would run behind a dresser and you would just hear clunk, clunk, clunk because there were like years of accumulated soda cans behind the dresser. Um, And then she'd come out like, yeah, I did it. (laughs) I love it. Um, Okay. What's your favorite factoid you've uncovered in search of NHRL trivia? Oh my gosh. Um, there's so many. Uh, I forget who one of our builders got lost on a submarine when he was in fifth grade. <laughs> That's one of my favorite factoids. Wow. Uh, I, of we Carmen, need to know who that Gil. was. Oh, Michael Shore. Yes. Oh, Michael's awesome. Wow. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> Luke to the rescue. Oh, I um, know. I've got a better answer to the question. Here's ooh. my favorite factoid. My number one factoid is that Camino is a planet from Star Wars. 
<laughs> oh my god, Gil. <laughs> I think I just killed Luke. <laughs> um all right, let's uh let's keep going. We got three questions left. All right. What what was your inspiration for making the NHRL tournament brackets? Uh so um the original idea I mean the, the the two round qualification system? I think so. Okay, if we're asking about the two round qualification system, the original idea came from Jim Kasmer of Project Liftoff. Um he suggested a two round qualifier which eliminated bots uh that went own to in the qualifier. Um and that actually was about the same number of fights as a one round preliminary round. And <clears throat> so I looked at it and I'm like, this is really cool, but the number of bots that need to fight must be a multiple of four. Otherwise you have to do buys and it gets messy. So I started playing around with it and that's where the boss um, group came from. The boss group serves two purposes. Number one, they pull out enough bots from the main group of bots that they ensure the number of bots remaining in the main group is a multiple of four, which means the two-round qualifier system works. The second thing they do is it ensures that a brand new bot just coming to NHRL won't get vaporized by a, um, uh, by a, a veteran bot. Luke, during our preview, we did not mention Droopy. I just realized oh that. Gotta fix that, Gil. Yeah. So Droopy, Droopy's coming, man. <laughs> uh, now Droopy, the weird thing about Droopy is because Droopy hasn't fought since 2020. Droopy is unranked, so they're likely going to be a rival. And that I know some people may not be crazy about that, but I feel like anything else would be editorializing, like I, it would be meddling, um, and I don't think it would set a good precedent. So. Um, I think the best thing to do is just let Droopy be a rival and, um, you know, uh, best of luck to the builder who faces them. Because, uh, I mean, at a certain point, this is combat robotics and you have to uh, deal with destructive bots. So, um, yeah, it's a tough answer. You know, the system, no system is 100% perfect and maybe we'll find ways to address it next year. But I think this is the fairest way to handle it this year instead of creating a precedent that co- could come to bite us down the road Gil, it's probably going to be the world's cutest eight-year-old kid who uh you know built their own robot they've been working on it for six months and droopy is going to explode that thing and uh send them back to utah or wherever they had to <laughs> scrounge money together to get out to connecticut yeah i mean um <laughs> <laughs> I, I I worry because it always winds up being like the worst case scenario, right? So I I just I really I I I um yeah we'll see how it goes. Um I I'm not sure what the best way to deal with that is uh, because if I do like step in and say no, we're gonna make Droopy rank a hundred. That that's kind of unfair to the other bots. Yeah, of course. Um, so you know exactly how to handle it is is unclear. Can we see a Droopy versus Zane match, please? Oh, I would love that. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Uh, last two here. How often are NHRL board meetings done in Austin's ball pit? Oh, uh, sadly, we do not have many meetings from the ball pits, much fewer than you would expect. Boo, Austin. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Lastly, I love that we're ending on this question. Mary asks, how can we make robot combat and the world a nicer and more inclusive place? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I, I think the important thing is to look for a builder who uh, might be from like a marginalized background and stick up for them and make sure they're comfortable. Um, and sometimes that sounds like an easy, simple thing, but sometimes that puts us in um, uncomfortable positions. You know, if we're not from a marginalized community, uh, sometimes we have to cede our power to them and listen to them. Like sometimes they'll get angry at us and we can't just dismiss them or shut them down. We have to listen to them and uh, realize that their concerns are coming from an important place. So sometimes I think that the, the best way to make this community more welcoming is sometimes to take our lumps um, and listen to people who are marginalized. Um, and uh, especially when what they're saying makes us uncomfortable and try to investigate why that makes us uncomfortable and try to attack the root cause um, and hopefully extend that to the community. That is not easy work. That takes a lot of self uh, reflection and introspection but if you can do it and you can encourage others to do it, um, I think it winds up leaving combat robotics a much, much better place. Wise words, Gil. Thank you so much for sharing that. And also for talking with us. I mean, we just love talking with you. We learned so much. It's great hearing your point of view. And thanks again for, you know, just everything, everything you do at NHRL, you are the, um, the little, you know, uh, engine that could sometimes oh, thank and, and you. You keep it all together. I, so. I apologize for the mega episode. Um, I tend to go on. <laughs> no, it was, it's fantastic. And, uh, if you want to hear more, come to May NHR NHRL, where we will see you there next weekend. Yes. I'm very excited about it. Woohoo. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're headed to China, where a woman went viral on social media after she smashed a robot using a wooden club. The woman repeatedly bashed pieces off of a humanoid robot that was stationed at a hospital entrance telling patients where to go. Robots are becoming increasingly more common part of daily life in China, where they've replaced certain jobs and perform electronic surveillance on behalf of the government. So, you know, just a little two for one, doing some jobs, doing a little surveillance. Why not? Maybe it gave her bad directions the day before. <laughs> oh. She was like, I need to have my knee replaced. And they were like, brain surgery over there. It's probably more like, I have to go to the bathroom. Which floor is it on? <laughs> Been there. I, uh, I I got a chance to watch a copy of this video on Twitter. And it's, you know, it's, it's like all of these... Um, public uh outburst type videos on social media where they 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 always forget to include the run-up to it it's just they they start filming mid smash and she is going ham on this robot like <laughs> i don't even know where you get a wooden bat at a hospital um 
But oh, maybe she brought it in from a car or something. I don't know. But she was just smashing this robot to bits. And the saddest part is that the robot keeps trying to help. Like its little head is moving around. Its little arms are going. And she is just, she's smashing the touch screens. Just, she's broken half of his head off. It's incredible. And there's just this big ring of people, you know, shocked, of course, standing around her. And she's just like brandishing this, this, this club, you know, like, uh, don't even get near me. I am, I'm not finished with this robot yet. It's like, what did this robot do to you? The worst part was that the robot had to forfeit its next fight because it couldn't be fixed in 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, Gil, I have a question. Yes. All right. So Brett and all the house bots, they're very cute. We love them. Are the, Is it a ruse? Is it a disguise because they're actually surveillance bots? I mean, they do have cameras on them. Uh, and we are we have already installed fire suppression systems in them. Um, but uh, despite that fact, I assure you that um, that Brett and company have only the best intentions in their little metal hearts. All right. I believe it. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I was watching this really interesting video, like as part of the Twitter thread um, where they were like, hey, you know what? Um, robots are so commonplace like, check this out. Like, people just hate robots in China. And it's so interesting because I'm like, I wonder if this is, like, you know, they're living in the future, right? Like, you know, is is this what our life is going to be like? Um, because, like, they're, they have this knockoff spot dog that is stationed at a bus stop and is asking for, like, travel paperwork before you can even go into the bus stop. It's, like, really bleak it's like cyberpunk you know like um like i i have to interact with this this just menacing looking government dog to like even move around in my environment like it's just wild um yeah and hospitals are already places where people are kind of pushed like if you're at a hospital generally something has not gone right for someone and a lot of people are not at their best like even as they're walking in the front door uh, so, you know, the fact that this happened at a hospital isn't a huge surprise to me because uh, it can tend to push people so hard. Wild. Well, you know, uh, in the cyberpunk future, I guess we just have to carry around bats, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. it's our it's our only way of holding on to our, you know, waning vestiges of humanity. Maybe yes. they'll sell special robot bats, you know, <laughs> that work especially well against robots. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, Lindsay is uh, is waggling something at the camera. Nobody can really see it. Uh, is that a wrench? It's a it's a hacksaw. Oh, I got a hacksaw, <laughs> and I My, got this thing. That's a file. I've got a file. A file. Well, I guess those are two things that you can use effectively against a robot if it holds really still. Okay, and yeah, that's a drill with a titanium bit. That'll do it. That'll yeah. do it too. Lindsay's ready to go Guys, for the robot hospital apocalypse. I was prepared for this robots around the world. <laughs> In the words of Douglas <laughs> Adams, reprogram you with a very large axe. <laughs> ah, incredible. Uh, well, on that, on that note, uh, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Gil for joining us for this episode. Thank you so much for uh, tagging along, Gil. 
Thank you so much for having me. This has been a dream come true. And uh, we want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode. Thank you, as always, Nicole. You're, you're wonderful. And we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.